So, may we start? Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Gramuga. Number one, Henry McHenry Stay in Cullen <laughs> Emilio Diaz. All right. Today we are talking about uh, Leos Carax's new film, uh, Annette, starring Adam Driver as Henry McHenry, as well as Marion Cotillard and Simon Helberg. Yes. Uh, Best director winner at That's the, right. this year's Palm uh, yep. Cannes Film Festival. Uh huh. And to talk about that movie, we are joined by uh, Griffin Newman from the Blank Check Podcast. Woo! Uh, hello. I, I have a question for the uh, for the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. At what point did uh, each of you realize that the baby is named Annette because of Marionette? Wow, literally just now. Literally you saying that. <laughs> no, because I, I was gonna say it took me a little while after I had seen the movie. Mm-hmm. It was not it was not an immediate thing. Sure. That's yeah. I mean look, that's great. Cause I knew I knew uh Marion Coutillard's uh Coutillard's uh uh name is Anne. Yeah. Right. right. And then I was like, is the name supposed to be a portmanteau? But then where does the et come right, from? Yeah. And I, like, spent the whole movie trying to solve, like, is it just that she's little Anne? Yeah. Is it... Which I guess is part of it. Maybe it's a double yeah. sure. thing. I mean, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. It didn't strike me as, like, a very unusual name. It was just, like, you know, they call her Baby Annette a bunch. Like, that's, like, a. it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, like, I just have known for eight years that Leos Karak is going to make it, or wants to make and then it was going to make a movie called Annette so That's it like yes. barely even registers to me as her name sure. it's just like there's a movie sure. called Annette I think I was just trying to actively mm-hmm. decipher every element yeah. of this movie it's, as it's, there's a lot to unpack yeah certainly yeah. <laughs> yes yeah because also say I I really uh, I feel like I knew almost nothing other than uh, what, what you just said. That, that, like, I knew he had been trying to make this for years. It was a musical. Sparks were doing the music. I feel like Adam Driver's been involved from the very beginning. Yeah. And a number of different mm-hmm. actresses went through the It was the rounds. Rooney Mara at first. And then it, right. like, almost happened with Michelle Williams and then right. Cotillard. Those are the three we've it- heard. But it, it felt like one of those movies that was never gonna get right, made. Yeah. Like it just yeah. felt like this is this is just too bizarre to exist. All I know is it's a Sparks musical directed by him with a baby. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think I didn't know the baby even until maybe it, it played at, yeah. at a con. But yeah. um I did not know the baby was a puppet. I did not know that until mm-hmm. I think I heard uh, that after Cam. Yeah. I think I heard that it can. The one thing, and I guess, so we're going to get into spoilers right away. The one thing I remember hearing is I feel like at one point, like, 
the log line of the movie and this was maybe like when it was back when it was Mara was like it's about a stand-up comedian raising his daughter after his opera singer wife has died so I knew she well, was see, oh, interesting there's um around the time that marriage story came out there was this big uh New Yorker profile yes, of Adam Driver, which we've been talking about for a long time and I was, mentioned it I think yeah because they talk about the boat and they talk about this big scene of him filming on a boat and like sort of right. being upset at like a driver being upset that like uh the timing is off and he was like we did it right yesterday like why can't we do it right today and like sort of getting frustrated with carex and um they like talk about it in that profile i was like rereading it yesterday and they talk about that the wife dies uh like in that scene and I'm like, that's yeah. crazy <laughs> yeah i mean like part of me feels like i would have read that profile and certainly i feel like every time there was a new announcement about the movie maybe getting funding or a different mm -hmm. actress being swapped out i feel like i read that but maybe i just absorbed none of it i also mm -hmm. feel like very often with festival darling movies especially if they are movies that like i am already on board for i right. i sort of choose to just uh yeah uh, stand back from all of it you know because I'm just like, yeah. if this played at a festival, I like the people involved. Mm -hmm. I like the two words I know about it right. beyond that. And people liked yeah. it. That I'm not going to read anything. And I'm not going to watch anything. And I'm going to go in as, as blank as I can. And sometimes I feel like that's very much to my benefit. Like, like seeing Moonlight knowing nothing mm -hmm. was like a religious experience. Yeah. Like, I, I did not know that movie, anything about that movie other than that it was about a gay man. I, I didn't know it was three ages. Every time I cut forward, my mind was fucking blown. Yeah. You know? Like, I, I didn't really uh, know much of anything. Um, I, I remember seeing Drive that same way. Wow. Which was good. Like, I just know, like, oh, it's, it's a Ryan Gosling car movie, and people are upset that it's not more of an action movie. Like, that's, mm -hmm. you know... But but that it had one best director at con. Like, um, I feel like very often, yeah, with a movie like this, uh, I, I try to stay as pure as I can. And I, I'm questioning we'll get deeper into it. But part of me wonders if it was not to the movie's sure. benefit that I had no idea where the movie was going. Yeah. That, I will say, like, because I watched it in theaters, um, I think, like, the Sunday that it had, like, come out. Yeah. Uh, because it was like I was, it was playing near me enough that I was like, "Yeah, I'll make the trek out." Like, I really want to see this movie, uh, and the whole time I'm just like, "What is going to happen next?" Like, you just right. don't know what the energy is and like where it's going to go. And then the second time I watched it again yesterday, and it just plays like gangbusters. It's like so yeah. entertaining, and you're just like on the wavelength the entire time. Uh, and I think it's like, yeah, I really think it's incredible. Um, I, I should watch it a second time, but I do feel like I mean, you guys talking about. Um places that had spoiled the wife's death yeah. uh it kind of feels like this movie right. probably if you're not expecting it to be a two that's where it's yeah. going because right? the whole time she's just like yes. i'm scared <laughs> i think right. so i mean the in the the particularly interesting thing knowing that she was gonna die and i don't think it was even places spoiling it it was just like this is the log line they've been provided uh was that yeah. when during the second stand-up scene where he's doing the monologue about the tickling, I was like, oh, is he, like, actually saying something mm. that happened off-screen? And yeah. so I, I was kind of thinking that for most of that scene. So that scene was very different 
knowing she wasn't gonna die until a little later. Okay. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. But uh. Yeah. So oh, yeah. before backing we up, we quickly yes. go yeah. through yeah, uh, Leo's character. Uh, well, well, first, before right, we do right. any of that, uh, there's like a little bit of news that, that I think we talk about, and I do have a question for Griffin that sort of relates to something he talked about at the t- at the top of the episode last time. So I don't know, do we want to do that for or like my, oh, that first, or do the news first? Let's talk about news real quick first. Okay. So the two things that happened. Uh, both earlier today are we got the schedule for TIFF and also like a little more details about how the screenings are going to work. Uh, and then we got the lineup and schedule for Currents, which is the last major thing we're getting from New York Film Festival. So, uh, in terms of TIFF, uh, a lot of people are mad because a if you're not in north america you can't see any of the big films if you're not in tiff you can't see any or if you're not in toronto going to physical screenings you cannot see like the biggest films and even if you are in toronto there's like huge conflicts like the big one that people are mad about that like may It's not the one I'm most mad about, but the one that, like, people who I think have to, like, cover it for a major publication is, like, they scheduled the only press screening of Dune and the only press screening of Last Night in Soho for the same time, which is, like, (laughs) absurd. Uh, And so uh, my first reaction, and then they also sent out, so I am going, so my first reaction when they sent out the... uh, publicity directory was uh i'm gonna email all the publicists and be like can you get me tickets to the public screenings which there are more of especially for those big movies that so far has not worked so if that doesn't work then uh yeah it's gonna i don't know there's like holes in the schedule i almost wonder if they're not like uh we're gonna see what makes people most mad and then add screening based on that yeah um so we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, I think the the stuff not being able available outside of North America is less likely to get resolved. I mean, you can like download a spreadsheet of every screening, including the digital screenings, and it's like some of them are like, it, and there's a column for where is it available, and some of them are like it's available only in these seven countries and like usually two of them are the u.s and canada but then it's like u.s canada japan south korea Mm -hmm. and peru or something it like makes no sense uh uh, yeah right boy so like particularly the british people are like what the fuck is going on here you did this right last year why could you not do it i mean this year I speak from no firsthand knowledge here, mm-hmm. but I also have to imagine that them being able to make everything so accessible last year was sort of like based around goodwill from force majeure right. shit. Sure. You know that I, I think a lot of the studios were just kind of like, well, none of us know what to do. Yeah. You yeah. know, all these uh, distributors and companies, and even financing companies and whatever were sort of like at a complete loss 
and especially with how it related to Oscar season, mm-hmm. um, just making sure that things got seen right. and they got hype and yeah. that they knew things had to work on a certain schedule and all that sort of shit. And now we're in this weird right. uh, one foot in, one foot out world. Yeah. 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 Which it's like, uh, obviously, I mean, what you're describing as frustrating as it is will still be more, will make a larger percentage of movies more accessible to a larger percentage of people than any year yes. other than last year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's true. And I think we're probably going to deal with several years of things like goalposts moving back and forth <laughs> yeah, on almost everything mm-hmm. related to films yeah, yeah. and their yeah. releases uh-huh. yeah and like to move over to uh new york film festival i think when they initially announced a couple weeks ago we backed off we're just not going to do any virtual screenings people yeah. were like well you know some of the movies in your main slate are playing at tiff why can't you just be like we'll put those ones online and not the other ones and now it's more clear that like they maybe didn't want to deal with these like weird semi-availabilities uh which i don't blame that right i mean i think last year my guess is that they had already accepted things and then it was about going to those people and asking can we do virtual screenings right or or are you going to pull your movie right whereas this year i imagine uh it was the opposite Mm -hmm. to a certain degree where it's like do we want to have to program only movies that will be made available right virtually or do we want to be able to program things willy-nilly and also uh three or four months ago i think people were far more optimistic about how things were well, yeah. Out yeah this fall though it is interesting yeah, we were... that three or four months ago was when new york film festival was saying we're going to be semi-virtual and then like just recently they were like interesting never mind yeah. we're all in person yeah I mean, I, I, I don't know how to do right. anything. Yeah, anything. it's very yeah. And I have very low stakes in my life. Mm-hmm. So I cannot imagine the stress I would feel if I were organizing yeah. an oh, international yeah. Right, we've said this many times, uh-huh. like, especially TIFF this year, which, like, is so dependent on international press coming to it, like... Much more so than sure. almost any yeah. other yeah. of these festivals. Like, yes. they, it's just must, must have yeah. been the hardest year possible to, like, with just the level of uncertainty to program and organize how TIFF is yeah. going to work this year. Like, and my, my, you know, my sympathies to all the people over there who have to, like, are comp- every day, like, I'm sure dealing with, like, a yeah. new email being like, well, we can give you, like, we can give you Sweden. Like, that's, like, we can, that's the, but that's going to be the line or whatever. Like, I'm sure it's a nightmare for whatever yeah. they're, mm-hmm. they're doing. It's it it must be a fucking nightmare. I also, I mean, I know, you know, I I I will put this word in a thousand quotes as I'm about to saying it, say it. But the the notion of like gatekeeping of access of films is a conversation that I feel like has gotten uh, very bizarre sure, yes. in the last yeah. eighteen months in particular. Yeah. And I have always been of a mind of like I have not attended a, a great number of film festivals with regularity, right? Like, I went to Con once. I went to Sundance once. I went to South By once. Uh, I've never gone to Toronto. You know, I've never gone to Venice. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't gone to most or any of the international ones other than Con. Um, and uh, uh, I don't really think Tribeca counts. Uh, <laughs> <fighting> <laughs> words. 
fired um, at Bobby. And I, you know, like I, I've seen films at New York Film Festival, but I'm not someone who usually does it up to the nines. Yeah, you, know? you don't buy like a pass. You'll just like. I don't. Yeah. Part of this is that I'm uh, sure. not very organized. Yeah. Huh? And also, I find that by and large, New York Film Festival premieres tend to be much closer to when the thing's actually mm-hmm. going to come out. Mm-hmm. And usually between Venice and Toronto, the few things that didn't have distribution playing at those festivals now do and have some sort of like set date. Right. So I feel like when I go see things in New York, it's very often things that don't have distribution in place or smaller, I think won't come out for like a year. Yeah. Like foreign films that sound interesting to me, directors I like, or someone says like, I have an extra pass for Carol. Does anyone want to see Carol? I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I want to see Carol. Yeah. You know, but I rarely put the forethought and work into it. So for me, I, it, it is a thing where it's like, I know it's very easy to perceive it as like, well, I'm some fucking like New York coastal elite who works in the industry. I'm fine with festivals still being in person because I have access to all this shit. But I bring this up because I I kind of like the magic of if I don't go to a festival, I I Mm -hmm. can't see those movies. Yeah. In the sense that then it makes when I can go feel very special, which is infrequently, you know, more than most people, but not... I'm not a critic who's going to everything every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or certainly someone who is uh, in movies good enough that I am getting invited (laughs) to things every year. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I understand. I've always liked the sanctity of that. I think there's something special about the magic of seeing a a movie at a film festival with a captive audience where people don't really know what it's going to be yet. Mm -hmm. Or even if it's screened once or twice and there's kind of that electric buzz about it and people are trying to get in there. And I think if you're a a film studio or you're a production company or whatever, you're you're putting your movie in a festival, like there's a kind of lightning in a bottle of buzz that is really Mm -hmm. hard to replicate even with virtual screenings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's the same if you send people screening links and then they just have a tweet embargo or whatever. Even if the yeah. s- virtual screening is only happening at one time, right. you don't have that sort of... I don't think a Slack conversation is right. the same as no. yeah. doing these things in person. And I feel like most of you folks became friends by yeah. going to Toronto, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's how yeah. you actually came to know each right. other in, in IRL. Mm-hmm. In IRL. <laughs> ATM machine. I'm a fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I understand how... From a festival perspective, <laughs> especially after last yeah. year, right? If you go, well, perhaps a door's been broken now. It's never going to be purely mm-hmm. an in-person thing. Or if you decide to go purely in person, people are going to raise their eyebrows. Um, mm-hmm. That the idea of, oh, Cuomo said that everything's good and everything's <laughs> reopened. We should do everything <laughs> yeah. to the nines to once again celebrate the sanctity of like being in a movie palace. Mm-hmm. Which now probably has just left everyone in a totally fucked position. Yeah, and like even last year, I'm trying to like, because I, I remember the TIFF lineup was pretty slight. Yeah. Um, and the New York lineup had it was like robust and it had things that I think a lot of people wanted to see. But even then, like I feel like the buzz that was created was just like they're all open to the public. So like anyone who you know lives in the contiguous or lives in the United States and has like a USIP address. You can buy tickets and see, you know, sure, Lovers right. Rock when it comes out and like talk right. about it on Letterboxd. There's no embargoes there. Um, yeah. And that's the same thing with like, you know, a film festival, they aren't going to embargo the, the, um, the, the audience at all. But um, you have other things like, I, I feel like people liked things out of New York last year, but I don't remember there being like 
well, everyone's got to see this. Like, you got to see this movie as no. soon as you can. Like, mm-hmm. no, the I, buzziness I, I, that is yeah. there for like an uncut gems, you know, playing at right. you know TIFF or whatever, or like there, there is a, a social aspect yeah. to film festivals, and I think sometimes it leads to a weird right. amount of buzz accumulating around a movie hype. that perhaps does not deserve it. Yeah, right. You know, and other times things get lost, but everyone's trying to replicate that magic of when the thing just kind of explodes at the right mm-hmm. moment, and everyone's talking about it. And I don't necessarily think uh, Twitter is the same thing because mm-hmm. I have found that, uh, and this is a, a really, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I have found on Twitter, it takes only 30 minutes sure. for something to get memefied <laughs> right. yeah, and then become very annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm very, on the beat that very turn old. Yes. <laughs> right. 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 But like, it is especially bizarre when you see. Beach that makes you turn old. Right, style a movie that like a thousand people abound. A f- <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right, a, right, a yeah. small foreign film. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That already everyone has fucking workshop sure, yeah. their like Leno monologue <laughs> jokes about, and you're getting them all at the same time, and then you're just like, well, now my entire perception of this movie right, is yeah. everyone's fucking one-liner yeah. about mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Yeah. And the, yeah. and then you have like weird film Twitter is doing the photoshops, making fun of. Right. The joke that everyone else is doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it's people making fun of the people who are cynical right. enough to make fun of the jokes. Like, <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. I never want to see this. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I, I mean, get... yeah, that is. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to transition us from the. Yes, yeah, the yeah, okay. Right. From the broad talk into a little bit about current. So, uh, in terms of the broad discussion, uh, my overall take has just been like, I'm fine with their be with the virtual festivals and the physical festivals coexisting as long as neither is to the detriment of the other like i think if that you're gonna do both of them you've the got to do them it. both yes. right yes. uh and like one thing uh i said that I, I was talking on twitter a little bit with uh pest and future guest uh anna swanson and she and she was saying like well this is being brought up is like an accessibility issue and like i understand that and like i i added on to that like the virtual festivals to some extent i would say pose an accessibility issue to me and that i have some adhd like thing or something and so like i just can't watch as many movies at home as i would if i went to an actual festival and seeing movies all day i'm the same way mm-hmm. yeah and so like uh and, and and so like it is important to me that these movies are able to be seen in theaters and i think currents is a great example of that because those are movies that's the you know it's it was new last year but it's basically what used to be projections uh and those are movies that like even in New York, other than the festival, it's like they might get one screening at some theater yeah. that you don't really know about. Uh, so it's like that is, and like with, similarly with like wavelengths at TIFF, uh, that's like this is the stuff where it's like you got to see this, go to a festival and see this stuff, or like yeah, you're right. probably not going to be able to see it in a theater, and these are some of the more, like, challenging films that, like, it's most important to see them in a theater. So, like, that is my take on the subject. And to talk about some of these specific films, uh, the big movie, uh, 
I don't know if Projections ever had an opening film, but they last year they had as the opening uh, the opening night film of Karen's. They had The Inheritance, which, which I think played now. really well. That's on Criterion yeah. Channel now. Uh, this year they have uh, the Tsugua Diaries, which is co-directed by Maureen Fazendero and Miguel Gomes, yeah. which is uh, premiered at Directors Fortnight at Cannes, and it's like a, a pandemic movie about uh, people making a movie during a pandemic uh, <laughs> with, like, I think they are the... You know, it sounds like it's kind of in the vein of, like, the initial framing segment of uh arabian nights uh so i'm really excited for that and that was something that i think just because gomes is such a big name was maybe expected to be in the main slate but it makes sense that they'd want to kind of have a a big thing for that opening night slot uh to kind of highlight this section uh there's a movie that i think was maybe uh, it premiered at some really small festival just recently, uh, directed by Claire Simone, who I think has mostly done documentaries, uh, called I Want to Talk About Duras, which is, uh, about, uh, based on, uh, an in- transcripts of an interview of, uh, Marguerite Duras's much younger partner, uh, Jan Andrea being interviewed by a journalist who's played by Emmanuel DeVos. Uh, and so that's interesting. Uh, like, yeah. I, I probably said at some point that India Song has been kind of the big uh, revelation of this year in terms of uh, just movies I've seen for the first time. Uh, there's a new Ted Fent movie who I know is someone who... Uh, last movie was classical period he's someone who i think uh a certain subset of people get really excited when he has a new movie i have not caught any of his previous movies and i think uh some of them have been on and off streaming at various points or took a very long time to get any kind of even digital release uh and it's in 16 millimeter. I I think some of these current screenings, uh, especially the shorts, are going to be projected on film, which will be cool. Um, there's a movie that I think was in one of the sidebars at Berlin called A River Runs, Turns, Erases, Replaces, which is uh, another pandemic movie by a uh, Chinese documentarian, uh, Shangzhe Zhu. Uh, the Dennis Cote movie, which was in Encounters, he's at Berlin. He's probably the other biggest name. Yeah. Uh, some stuff carrying, which is another pandemic movie. And then, like, some more stuff <laughs> carrying over from uh, Wavelengths at TIFF. And then eight programs of shorts, just like last year. Though yeah. last year we talked about this when... Uh, we had Michael Sosinski on. He was saying that it seemed like they had that first program of shorts that even though it was in this more experimental section because that's the only place shorts are, seemed a little more mainstream. It doesn't seem like they've done that again just on, like, first glance, which is interesting. Uh, like, it was, it was billed as, like, these are the opening night shorts. 
and there's not that. I mean, one of the one of the first program is the Matias Pinheiro, Louis Patino short from Cannes, which is like, you know, they're like both narrative filmmakers who make movies that get week long releases at least. But yeah, uh, so that's Currents. Uh, I'm gonna try and see as much as I can from there. It's a uh, it's more affordable to see those movies as well mm-hmm. if you're in New York, uh, especially as a student, or you can get a pass to all of them. Uh, so I recommend checking out that section. All right. So you have your so, question, Andy. I do. I have. It's a. I've, we had a big build up to this question. So Griffin, this is the segment Andy's big question. Yes, yes Andy's yes. big question. So Griffin, last time you were on last last mm-hmm. year. Uh, you spoke, we asked you about your festival experience. You spoke a little Mm -hmm. bit about, uh, I believe there was like one like obscure European festival you like attended as a representative of a film that you were in. The Warsaw International Film Festival. Right. That's right. And you, and you spoke a little bit about, um, how like you, part of the reason that you, you referenced in this episode, why you maybe have not like been a big like festival like vacation or, or anything like that mm-hmm. is because you were maybe like waiting to be invited to like as talent to, to go to a I, film uh, festival again I, uh, like there was I, a hint I, I, I will reframe this more as sure. I am self-conscious about not wanting to be places where I'm not invited I see. if that makes yeah. sense it's yeah. less sure. like I'm waiting for them to pay me the respect <laughs> I yeah. they need to kiss the and, ring right sure. it's more about a sense of insecurity mm-hmm. I, I, I see okay yeah. well so yeah but but fair. All correct. right. Yeah. So that's one side of this. The other side of sure. this is you've talked publicly about your desire and uh, attempts to get cast in the Walt Becker film Clifford. The big wow. Yeah. What Which I know uh, is a wow, bit of a sore a spot. And I apologize that <laughs> yeah. if this is uh, no. if it's picking at no. a wound. But I'm not no, sure if you followed the saga of Clifford. I and closely. Yes. Are you kidding me? And yes. uh, the it's uh, initial programming at the Toronto International <laughs> wow, Film Festival. Yeah. And yeah. then it's being pulled from the Toronto International Film and Festival lineup. from the release schedule. Fairly unceremoniously. Right. They right. pushed back the release. They just removed it from their website. They moved, like, something else up. It was going to be a gala. Uh-huh. It moved, they moved something else up to a gala. I think maybe. And I'm just wondering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Berg, they put the yeah. Bergman. Very interchangeable. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I'm just wondering. Like, I, you, it sounds like you've been following it. I'm wondering if there has Close been, up. like, an emotional, like... Oh, like maybe I would have gone as talent, or or like if I had been in the movie, and then like, there's so vindication <laughs> that they pulled it from the fest. Like I'm not sure if you've had like a reaction to it that you could share with our our listeners. I will admit that was not uh, an aspect I was thinking about sure. until now. I, I mean, um, it's, yeah. I apologize if this creates any new trauma for you. No, no. no I mean, look, podcast. to be <laughs> to, to be fair, I guess I'm happy now that it's been pulled because I don't have right. the sense of FOMO. Yes. Of getting to walk that big red carpet. Right. Yes. yes. Um, with that big red dog. Yeah. <laughs> I also think. I mean, let me let me be very clear here. I I, I was auditioning for. A, a large one scene role. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have gotten invited to the premiere. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. I'm also now curious. I'm I'm looking at the the IMDB cast list for this movie, which goes fairly deep. I don't want to out anybody. Okay. <laughs> but oh no, never mind. Okay. Okay. So I 
I was auditioning for this part. Yes. It was sort of like the whole movie was filming in New York and in the New York area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of funny one scene parts. Sure. Yeah. And it's a, it's a uh, look at the big lot, red dog. <laughs> look at yeah. that dog. Hot dog well, vendor. Also, <laughs> also uh, just uh, live action uh, studio comedies don't get right. made anymore. Sure. Yeah. So mm. this was like. An audition waiting room that was like the forty funniest people in New York City. I'm not including myself in that. I'm just saying, like, I cannot believe all these people are auditioning for Clifford, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I just kept on seeing new people walk in. It was just like, oh, right. Like, them's the breaks. If you want to have like a funny scene mm-hmm. in a movie, yeah, you don't get the part where you pop in bridesmaids as the flight attendant right. anymore. Sure. Yeah. You have to be the fucking cop yelling at Clifford. Like, this is like, <laughs> yeah, all that's kind of out. Out there right yeah um so i was aware it was like stiff competition not everyone was going out for the same part it was like they have so many parts right. of so many new yorkers it's gonna be the funniest cast it's like a, i do have so many, i have so many right. names rolling through my head of yeah. like oh, it would be so funny to have seen this person well, at the look, let me say like some of the people there were famous and mm-hmm. some of the people were you know sort of like uh, just well established within the new york right. comedy right. scene just sure. people i know are very funny yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. but everyone was very good and they were clearly casting a very wide net for a very large number of roles. <laughs> I was very focused on trying to get this because, as you said, I'm obsessed with my favorite Volker to Wahlbecker. Sure. He is one of the filmmakers I would be most curious to watch work because I really cannot fucking figure that guy <laughs> out. And I, I, I lay awake at night wrestling with questions of intent with his work. Mm-hmm. And I want to see where that that deliberation comes into play or doesn't, yeah. whether he enters a Zen flow state or whether he is strategic in the content he is putting into his movies. Sure, it's in the but, same way that uh, actors are desperate to work with Terrence Malick or Wes Anderson. Yeah. Correct, correct. So I um, wanted this really badly, prepared really hard. I, I objectively felt fucking crush my audition mm-hmm. and then they were like very positive in the room and my reps afterwards were like really good yeah. really good feedback on Clifford yeah. and I was like I want to restate this is top priority for me like this is absolutely and for perspective my, my, my agents and managers have been I would say they will never listen to this episode yes. they don't listen to my own podcast um I would say they have been somewhat frustrated mm-hmm. at my lack of aggression in pursuing uh, big roles after being the lead on a TV sure, show. Yeah. I think they have been somewhat flummoxed by me not trying to uh, uh, take the bull by its horns, as it were. So then the fact that I'm like all in on Clifford, all chips right, yeah. pushed to the center of the table for this one scene role for Clifford. They were like, I guess if it gets him work, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, you know, whatever. So they were going after it very aggressively and they, they did all the things that happen when you... Right think you're about to get yeah. a part where they said like they're just double checking your availability and like you don't have any conflicts with this right and can you keep these days open and this and that and i was just like matter of time matter of t-. there were like contracts coming in any moment and then what ended up being the case was there was another actor who is bigger than i am but not mega famous sure. okay who is was their choice for this part mm-hmm. And he was demanding, or his reps, I don't want to put it on him, sure. that he get single card billing in the opening credits. 
Yeah. He he and he Paramount definitely said, wanted to go to Toronto. <laughs> this is why I bring yes. this up. This right, is yes. why I bring yes. this up. Because Paramount fundamentally said it's a one scene role. We have a lot of big actors in that movie. It's a non starter. That is not happening. Yeah. And his rep said, if he doesn't get single card opening credits, he's not in the movie. And so there was like 10 days of just contentious back and forth on this. Where I all, I, the whole time I thought I might be filming Clifford next week. Yeah. Like I was like, we don't know why the contract's taking so long, but they've told us it would be in five right. days, right? <laughs> and then it was like, I want to say maybe the Thursday or Friday before like the Monday or Tuesday when I would have filmed, this thing came right. out. They were like, we're sorry, we haven't been able to give you a clear answer. This is the state. It still might happen. It still mm-hmm. might happen. And then I never heard anything right. again. And he got sure. the part. And I double-checked it. He is on the IMDb. Because I sure. was going to be fucking angry right. if it went to someone yeah. else. But mm-hmm. he he is on the IMDb. He did presumably get the role. I, I would be astonished if he ends up in the opening credits. <laughs> but I guess either he flinched or they yeah. did. It's one or the mm-hmm. other. And it's like... If if he had passed, I would have gotten the role, mm-hmm. which would have meant be, it was because they were never going right. to give that person yes. open credits billing, yeah. which means I don't think I ever would have gotten to go okay. to Toronto. Sure. That's my long-winded version of the story. <laughs> okay. That having been said, if I had seen him walking the big red carpet, I would have lost my fucking shit. Yeah. I would have been so... He's got the irate. fake yes. Clifford hands on, walking down yeah. the carpet. Right. Um, I'm sure they ha- will have a big... Car- they would have had a big Clifford there for everyone to pose with. Look, it, it, these are weird times yeah. we're living in, right? I was flummoxed by the film Including being sure. announced... Yes. It's yeah, it's a very I mean they'll have kids movies they had Abominable is the one that we always go to. They'll have like odd yeah. kids movies playing, but it was like a big premiere. Right. <laughs> it was having it its was like a gala movie. Yes. It yeah. felt like yeah. a weird one. It, it felt was like, like a weird one. I yeah. know they this do yes. first man. <laughs> yes. Right. I know like fucking you know, the lesser Dreamworks movies yeah, have played yeah. at con and shit. Like I I know, but it it did feel odd. Yeah. It's yeah. not it usually is big studio animated movies. Right. Yes. And studios that have like long running relationships where they always send their films yeah. there. It was an odd one. It's also odd because Walt Becker is somewhat tasteless sure. <laughs> yeah. not a festival yeah. guy I, I i've gotta say yeah at right. all <laughs> at all so like everything about it was weird to me and then the weirdest thing for me is that clifford remains at at least the moment we're recording the only major studio release to get fully pulled off 2021 because of delta fears right like we've had some well. things rearranging a little bit? I believe just today they announced Venom is also moving to 2022. Did they really? Yeah. But it has a lock. It's January. Right, they they put it in Morbius's January slot. Which I am so invested. So pissed off about. I want both these movies to come out immediately. I mean, wither poor Morbius. I mean, that that, that thing is. Morbius was supposed to come out first. Was supposed to come out, like, (laughs) last (laughs) March or something. Like, last, like... Okay, I'm seeing this as a might. Variety ran it, but it has not been confirmed by... I believe the story I saw was IGN, which is... We'll see. Sure. I I think... I'm looking at the IGN story. They're citing Variety. It's several high-level sources. 
We'll see. But but then the idea is yes, it would go to January. Interesting. I mean, Clifford is the only right. one that has officially done it still, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and was the first one yeah. to do it. Well, yeah, they pulled it off, and like we were like like a few of us were like on a call with each other, and someone was like, they pulled Clifford, they pushed it to December. And we were like, it's yeah. playing TIFF. And then we looked at the TIFF website and it was just not on there. And we we're like, what is happening? Yeah. And like, they were like cagey about why they took it off at first. And then like later that day, they were like, it was, it's because of Delta. We're just like afraid. Right. And kids, kid like, kids can't get vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. Like that. Whole yeah. Thing. yeah. Though it's, Which it's I, not as yeah. unceremonious as the new Odeyard film, which got pulled from TIFF. I don't think they never put out a press no. release. I don't think Deadline or Variety or anyone ever put anything out about it. It just disappeared from the website. No explanation. Yeah. Weird. Um, I mean, I'm seeing that Clifford is now fully undated. Did they undate it? Have they pulled wow. the date? Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's fully undated. I mean, what's most fascinating about that to me is I hear that Clifford is getting a gala screening. I go. It's going to be good. I don't. <laughs> well, no, I don't even give sure. it that credit <laughs> right. at that moment. I go, that's weird. I don't understand what the machination right. there is. Is there some bigger Paramount film sure. that Toronto wanted, but then I look and there isn't. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's that no one else was giving up their kids' movies. They want to have one big right. kids' movie. Mm -hmm. They want to have a, a more commercial thing, whatever it is, is slim pickings, what yeah. have you. But then the fact that it got pulled so yes. quickly <laughs> at the very beginning of right. Delta Panic, when most films have still yes. not budged, yeah. and the explanation was, Paramount thinks they're holding a really hot hand. Right. I mean, well, yeah, that's what it was. They were like, and the implication, <laughs> I guess, movie? is also that like they think they were gonna ride Toronto Festival buzz to like box office six. Like, like why can't I mean, it still I, premiere I at TIFF if it's gonna play like in December or whatever? Like, that. I guess it's because they don't want to allocate the resources if then it's not going to come out for another I six guess. months yeah. or whatever. But, like, the TIFF right. reception is I mean, not going to affect yeah. how that movie does at all. Like, <laughs> No, I agree. I think it's just I, – I think it's just – they think of these things in, like, once you start the sure. marketing right, promotional right. train, you keep yeah. it going. And we don't want to have to keep the ball in the air for who knows just how long. Nonstop Clifford spots on TV but it's also, for six months. It's like, right, why can't right. they just, like – it's – it's uh, you said it's Paramount? It's Paramount. Why can't yeah. they just dump it on Paramount Plus? Like it's like a Tom and Jerry HBO. Because they're holding such a hot hand. I know. I know. This, this is, is the thing. This is like why this is won't the they just like? It's Clifford I, I who gives it. Like put it out. Apparently. <laughs> well, and then this is the other thing in the stories about it getting pushed back. I, people are gonna be outraged or delighted that we're forty. <laughs> I know. This is, we like, gave I them a net up, talk up, talk. We've earned this. We talked a little. That's I look. That's why I front loaded the Annette talk at the beginning because I know when I'm on a podcast we're going to get into tangents and I at least want to give people a the understanding yeah. right, yeah. the taste the wife dies the baby's is... puppet okay Clifford time uh, no but the stories I, I was reading uh, in, in why the film was pushed back was partially because the like the the trailer did really fucking well. <laughs> what is that? Everyone hated the trailer. Everyone hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the dog's not, not big enough. enough. He's, He's not, not red enough. enough. <laughs> but this is the thing. I don't know if it's just that like they can't tell the difference between ironic views yeah, and non-ironic views. Yeah, they see views. the number. <laughs> the trailer did but so I, well. I also think that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there have been some cases where a trailer gets, like, hate-watched and hate-spread yeah. and dunked on. Right. 
and then I'm like, well, it's going to be a bomb, and then it is a huge hit. Like, mm-hmm. fucking Space Jam sure. 2. Venom, I feel like everyone was dunking on from the Right, trailer, the first one, yeah. And then became America's favorite blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, she said um, symbiote instead of symbiote, and then they redubbed it for right. the movie. It's like... <laughs> but just as, as a point of perspective, sure. right, let's look at Paw Patrol, which right. is, like, as it stands right now, at least one of the five biggest kids' brands. Sure. Yeah. You have to think, yes. right? Yeah. Clifford has been a little dormant. Right. I know it's a legacy yeah. thing, mm-hmm. but Clifford is not like constantly in right. the public. Clifford is the like my era, right? Since like John Ritter right. died, right? Like there's like hasn't been right <laughs> Clifford. Right, they made him a Clifford. puppy. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They did the puppy shit, but even that like has ended. Oh yeah, ended, long time. What, fifteen ago. years ago? Yeah. Um, Paw Patrol. They like push back a couple times, but did release in theaters and put on Paramount right. Plus, and it like overperformed relative sure. you know like in a weekend where three big movies all open to less than three million dollars Paw yeah. Patrol got into like the teens and is presumably doing really well on Paramount Plus and that's also Paramount right. yeah like I mean, for some reason Paramount has whatever analytics they Clifford have Clifford is right? the one <laughs> what? yeah no, no, there's some, they they must be looking at it and going like there's fucking Sonic potential. Yeah, wow. you might you be know? onto something in that like this is like a film that like the hate watching is so intense because I will say yeah. this is the only trailer ever that my father has commented on. My father, wow. who is a children's librarian but does not like movies, he said, I wow. saw the Clifford trailer. He's not big enough and he's not red enough. He's, I mean, wow. That's the <laughs> yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm very... The whole thing makes me very yeah. curious. And them pulling it is the thing that made me think, is there is this thing actually good? Or does it at least really play? Or, yeah. or are Paramount just greatly misreading ironic yes. views? But then you have to step back and ask, D- is there any difference these right. days? You know? I just think it would be very obvious for them to just put it on Paramount+. Plus. Or do day and date like they did with right. Paw Patrol, especially <laughs> since Paramount Plus needs subscribers. Yeah. And the fact that they're pulling it means that they think this is their bond. Like, that this is I'm like, <laughs> this has to go to theaters. Right, it makes no sense. This will, yes. Because this was another weird thing was Paramount doesn't have it in Canada. I think, uh, I'm forgetting what the name of the studio is. But so it got pulled from the release schedule. And then there was a question for a moment of, like, will it still play at Toronto? Mm -hmm. Because I think E1 or something like that has it in Canada. And then it was sort of at Paramount's request, they have asked all foreign partners to also hold back the movie. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's just so bizarre. (laughs) Like, everything around it, there's more and more questions come up as you start to unpack it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that having been said, if I were going to Toronto... that would be the number one screening I would want to see. Like, I mean, there, the, there, the, is, yes. there is no screening I would like to attend more than like film festival gala premiere right. Clifford. The to just see premium how opening plays. night. Walt Becker comes out on stage, yes. waves to the crowd. Says, right. I'd like to introduce yes. like Keenan Thompson or whatever. Then it's like, we worked really yeah. hard making this movie. Hope you all enjoy it. And then like walks off the stage. Uh, right. And this guy who you saw right. in the opening credits, <laughs> you'll see right. his name. He's here. Yeah. Yeah. J- Jack Whitehall on the red carpet <laughs> with a bone in his mouth. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, 
if there is any festival it would succeed at, it would be Toronto, which is the one that is most attended by just like random people in Toronto. Yeah, you'll have like right. old yeah, people and yes, like families right. go to movies. Like right, right. But but even so, it would it, it, that would be an interesting. Room but is there be. like a kid who's like the target audience for Clifford, who's like? Hey mom, like buy this twenty dollar ticket so we can see Clifford two weeks early at ten. No, I mean, I mean, I think, I think the idea is if things were actually back to normal, rather than our premature things are going back to normal yeah, yeah. of festival planning three months ago or whatever. I think the idea is people would be like so eager to do the normal thing yeah. again. Right. Oh, so it's just you like know, right. I, see the, yeah. I almost right. wonder if like those movies specifically at Toronto are like anyone who is tangentially related to the film who lives in Toronto, you bring your family and you just get in for free. That's that's a lot of it too. Yeah. yeah they but do, also yeah, I mean they do screenings like yeah. that. Um, I think the other thing is here, right, it was scheduled for September seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was just especially if a movie like that that's a little better than people assume mm-hmm. it's gonna be. Right. And you could like send it to a festival and get a lo- a bunch of cute pictures of everyone mm-hmm. on the fucking carpet and have a bunch of critics come out and go like it's not dog shit. <laughs> yeah, then, no pun intended. Right, and then and then it comes out like three days later. Yeah, it makes yeah. your job a lot easier as yeah. like a marketing department. Yeah, sure. You eight, know, eight year- I don't think I don't think the secret message here is like was Clifford an Oscar contender? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Was Clifford going to win the audience award? I, I mean, I think I mean it's just... it, it wouldn't be the worst audience award winner. <laughs> and this is, a, Absolutely this is a tough year for the audience award, I think. Yeah. Um, Eight, but it, yes. it's... It, look, it leaves me very curious about this movie. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, maybe they're relying on like 10-year-olds showing their parents like, look, IndieWire, give it a B-. minus. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Zach Sharf loved it. <laughs> Ehrlich didn't hate it. He lo- he he really usually hates stuff like this. Like, the new yeah, Paddington yeah. is Clifford. Yeah, boy. All right. Yeah, we Clifford should... is going to be like the opposite of nice core. <laughs> sure. Okay, so th- I'm sorry, but this is weird. Then we can move on okay, from yes, Clifford. Okay, yes. I was going to say, we should <laughs> sure. get to Carax. <laughs> A- Entertainment One. Yeah. Which is like a big uh, Canadian children's television company yeah. that does like Peppa Pig and a number of other things. Sure. Um, they made a deal to co-finance the movie. They've done. I mean, they've done other things like Insidious and whatever. Mm-hmm. But they made a deal to co-finance the movie in exchange for getting sole distribution rights in Canada whereas Paramount has it everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And Entertainment One is now owned by Hasbro. Oh. Wow. This- so Hasbro Toys Uh-oh. <laughs> was going to release it in Canada, but that also makes me wonder if that's another factor in the Toronto premiere is you have like a big billion-dollar company that is now releasing this movie in only one territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Anyway, anyway, yeah. moving on. Yes. Okay. All right. So Leo's Leo's Karras. Karras. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we can just sort of go down because he's got a small filmography. He yeah. He takes big gaps. His yes. first feature is Boy Meets Girl, which plays at International Critics Week at Cannes in 1984, and it gets a lot of buzz. There's a lot of like French New Wave comparisons. Uh, I, this one is one that I've not seen, uh, Boy Meets Girl. I don't know if I said world earlier. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, 
it got like rave reviews out of uh, Critics Week, and he's it's his first film, his first feature, and he's working with his regular collaborators in cinematographer Jean Yves Escoffier and Denis Levant. And then in 1986, he makes Mauvais Song with Denis Levant uh, and Julia Binoche. Yeah. Uh, this one played Berlin in 86. Julie Delphi? Um, it played Berlin yeah, in 87. One. It actually had a, right. it had a French release at the very end of 86. Sure. Which and this happens one, often in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah, it was in competition. Um it, it won, won the prize that is no longer the Alfred Bauer Prize because Alfred Bauer was a Nazi sympathizer. Jesus yes. Christ. Um, is that what the title card before it said? When I watched I watched it on Hoopla, and there was like a card that came up that was like, this film won this prize, and then like it, maybe. the actual movie started after Probably. that. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe, and it won maybe a bunch of Maybe they should still have that award, but give it to the movie that most lightly enables fascism. Yeah, or like that you get this is the worst movie, so we're giving it this yeah. award attributed to a terrible man. <laughs> um, and this one, I think, I mean, I don't know who, I think maybe all of us have seen it, um, except for uh, you, Griffin. I watched it, I don't really like it. He's like doing the French New Wave thing, and like Levant is a captivating performer in it. Yeah. Um, but so I had seen... I'd seen Holy Motors back in, like, 2019 for the first time, and then I watched Annette in theaters, and then I saw Mauvais Song, and, um, it's, like, yeah, he does look very young. That's a good call, and he, um, he's, like, truly, like, so small in it, um, but he's doing, like, a lot of great things. This is, like, the famous scene of him running down the street to Modern Love that was used in, um, Francis Ha is, like, from this, Yeah, and... It's, like, editing and stylism is very much, like, Godard, and it just all feels very, like, surface level to me. Like, I don't really get a ton out of the relationship between uh, Benoche and Levant, or Levant and Delpy, even, or uh, Benoche and Delpy at the end, even. Um, but, it, like, it, he crafts a nice image. Like, it looks great. The, the I watched, like, the most recent sort of blu-ray uh release that's like a restoration and it looks really good it just is like i've seen you know levant be more captivating and do more things in holy motors and i've seen uh carax like make a better movie with annette um does anyone else have any thoughts on movie song nah i can see what you're saying i just sort of appreciate it's like I sort of think about it like you mentioned French New Waves that like on a similar term of like the 400 blows like obviously they're both movies with like iconic yeah. running and it's just like I, I, it is surface level but I sort of appreciate like the useful just like aggressive yell out to the it is very it's a very young man yeah like, it's got so much energy uh, to it which mm -hmm. is maybe know, a little Colin, off Colin's an old soul so he doesn't really <laughs> yeah. get it I mean it's got energy to it but again like it's like two hours long and I like feel it like I get all the energy in the first half and I'm like yeah okay like mm -hmm. you're still doing this sort of like hamster wheel but it's like not engaging like movement is happening I just don't really care about it um right and uh, then then uh, lovers on the bridge which he's yeah, back at can but out of competition and it's Levant and Benoche again 
And that one uh, I've seen, uh, and it's like it, it, it's pretty good. Uh, I don't love it as much as I love the two most recent ones, but uh, they're both really good in it. Uh, yeah, that's about all that I think about it. Yes. It, it is uh, interesting. Uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that movie, and mm-hmm. that's sort of his his breakthrough to a certain degree. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like his first successful movie and got more of an international right. release and everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that that one is out of competition at a point where he hasn't necessarily broken out as much on an international stage. And then the next three movies up to Annette are all in competition. It can, uh, even though Annette was the opening film, it still played in competition where it won Best Director. And then, yeah, so you go back to Pola X, which is the one that doesn't still... Maybe it got some kind of U.S. distribution at some point, but at this point it's not available on home media or streaming. Uh, maybe there's... I don't even know if there's, like, an old DVD you can get on eBay uh, that'll play on a U.S. DVD player. Uh, Yeah. And that's the one that's kind of associated, like, with the new French extremity, like, Denis, who emerges around the same time, uh, you know, Dumont, who we talked about uh, a couple few weeks ago, uh, that, it's like that kind of thing, and I think it's just, like, too much for most people is the impression I get. Uh, yeah. And it's it's his one French movie, I guess, that Levant isn't in. Because then Levant yes. is back for Holy Motors, which... Well, the thing about Paula X is he works with uh, Yekaterina right. Golubeva, who, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they met on the film, but they were longtime partners um, and had a child together. And... Uh, right. So then, yes, he he comes. He sort of takes a long break between Pole X and Ninety Nine. Does like music videos and shorts. Uh, a he segment does, uh, the mayor in Tokyo. Right. Yeah, he does a yeah. segment in the film with, Tokyo with Levon again, which is sort of like a dry run for Holy Motors. Yes, it's the char- yeah. I think the character is just like it, yeah. it's yeah yeah yeah. Um, and he said that like I guess the plan was to take that character and to do a movie with him, just like in different locations, and that is like the start of that movie became the segment that is in Holy Motors as that character. Um, yeah. But yes, so he, then he makes Holy Motors, uh, his first features, yeah, since Pola X with Levant again. And I was reading an interview with, um, where he's like talking about Levant. And he's like, yeah, he's like, great. We aren't really friends at all. Like, if we aren't making a movie, <laughs> we don't talk to each other. And it's like really an interesting relationship there. Sure. Um, they're like, but Holy uh, Motors is like they're like his the the MythBusters guys. Yes. they don't talk yes, with sure. their yeah, <laughs> yeah. They aren't real friends. They just yeah, yeah that's funny. Yeah, um, but then if we're talking biography and Golubeva, she passes away. Maybe even while he probably while he's in some stage of working on uh. Uh, Holy Motors, uh, because she she passes away in August of 2011. I would imagine there's maybe more information about this on the internet if you read French. But yeah, on Wikipedia, it just says the cause of her death remains unknown. Yes, and if you dig into, I mean, people don't 
know when they were together. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, their relationship was very private, and, yeah. and her mm-hmm. death was private as well. And uh, I, I think people don't even really know how closely the news of her death becoming public was in relation to when it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Holy Motors very... I don't know. Always felt to me like a reaction movie to that in some ways, especially the opening of it. Mm-hmm. But yes. uh, I, do, I don't know the, the timeline of exactly when those two things happened and when he was gesting the project and all of that. Yeah. Right. And Holy Motors um, is in competition at Cannes again in 2012. Um which is the Amor year. Um, it's the it's the Nanny Moretti hates Holy Motors year, so it can't yes, win yes. an award. Right, because uh-huh. it was kind of like that was it was very like splashily received for the most part. Right? Oh yeah, well, yeah everyone it was, was like this is like the back. big front runner. Everyone loves right. this movie, like, and then Nanny Moretti goes uh uh uh. And like Levant, we talked about uh, Botrvai, and like his sort of career. Like he's in these Carox movies. He's in. Uh, Bocervai, and like he's not in a ton else really. Mr. Uh, Lonely. Yes, right. yes. The, and uh, like, Korean, like post very bizarre performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would I say post Holy Motors, he's done more like it seems like Alverson movie. It seems like his project post Holy Motors, a lot of it has been like this is an interesting up and coming filmmaker, and I'll take a small role in their film to kind of. Yeah push it up like there he was in that movie night of kings that played yes uh toronto in I'm new sure. york last year I saw yes. that movie. um and he's in rick alverson's the mountain yeah um and like a really insane scene <laughs> yeah um but holy motors really is like this showcase for levant and yeah. like it's pretty hard to argue with his performance i think like i watched it i said i watched it in 2019 for the first time and like really loved it and this rewatch i was a little softer on it um but not in that like i didn't like it i just sort of it was a movie that i like thought about like a lot already and i don't know if like a rewatch helped the movie because i was like yeah it's sort of just this thing like i do think he's great i love i mean my favorite scene which like probably leads to why i love annette so much is the um the kylie minogue scene where she's singing um (laughs) and uh but I mean, it's it's got a lot of great stuff. It looks incredible. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, so I mean, many... I I want to say Holy Motors might have been like the first movie that I watched in my uh, freshman college dorm, uh, wow. thinking I was going to be a film student, uh, <laughs> and like at that point, I was just like wow that's something and then i did rewatch it a few years later uh and i would say i I haven't seen it as recently as you did cullen but at this point i'm like oh this is one of the like epochal movies that has come out in the last 10 years like in the top five or ten uh though like having seen annette for a second time i'm like they may be about as good as each other. Uh, they're both really special movies, anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Does anyone have any Holy Motors thoughts, quickly? Yeah, I mean, fucking rips. <laughs> yeah. It's like a masterpiece, yeah. I mean, I... When we did our our best of the year... I'm sorry, not best of the year, best of the right. decade, blanky awards last year, I put 
uh, uh Denny Levant yeah. in my my five for sure. best actor and I said it's just like that's the that's the most acting mm-hmm. performance. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean he's doing um, so much like right and and look I'm not someone who like thinks you always got to give it up to quantity sure. but I I think <laughs> yeah. what is impressive about that performance is the the balance of quantity and quality where he is kind of doing more acting than anyone else did yeah. in the last decade uh, but there's a, a specificity and integrity to every different little piece yes. of what he has to do. It, it's incredible. That movie rules. Um, and I, I, it's, you know, obvious normie pick, but that um, uh, the accordion scene. Sure. It's yeah. so good. It's mm-hmm. just like so fucking joyous. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like when when Annette opened with a heightening of oh that, my God. I, I went like, oh, this is going to be my favorite movie yeah. of all time. Yeah. Which is, I, I as, as we now tiptoe back into Annette conversation, like, th- this is very much a still processing sure. yeah. episode sure. for me. Uh, because I like it, but I definitely thought I was going to adore right. it. Mm-hmm. And when it started, I felt like I was, it was well yeah. on its way. Yes. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around it in some ways. I've been trying to give a little space to, like, absorb and read other people writing on mm-hmm. it and, and such before I go back and watch it mm-hmm. a second time. But um, that that opening is fucking unbelievable. I think uh, it's the best it's scene so of the good. year. It's like... Y- yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. It, right now, like, I mean, it's a very odd competition, but in my mind, like, the other yeah, scene that I think here. about yeah. is the gorilla scene in bad trip but um, i was gonna say the other one is uh bernal and creeps last scene in old is the like i mean yeah that's, that's also, a good call. and yeah. yeah i did just get i i, I would go a- abby lee in the cave oh. but also mm. i mean any any best scene of the year uh conversation is irrelevant in a year where a jackass movie is coming <laughs> i know out yes you know that is gonna fit and the in the trailer 10. they put salmon and honey on a guy and let a bear in the room right but, um, but jackass is what if movies are only the best scenes? yeah 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 it's kind of <laughs> so like holy motors right. like Holy Motors yes, is like jackass yes, for film yes, comics. Yes, Colin. <laughs> yes, they are very similar. They're very similar. Yeah. Um, um, my, yes, no. That the the opening is just incredible. Yes, yes. Sorry, my shout say? out for best scene of the year is just is is Pasantiefe from In the Heights, which I think is tremendous. Um, but also speaking about Levant in Holy Motors, I think like the thing that I think is very special about the scene is like, yes, it is most acting, but like it also gives you so much of his transitions between like the personas he's playing, I think, yes, which yeah, I think is yeah. like, that is like what makes that performance like so special and so exciting to watch. I, I also, there's a, no, I'm not gonna say that the completely hyperbolic <laughs> thing, but it is w- one of the best portrayals of acting I have ever sure. seen because it's one of the only ones that gets into how fucking yeah. weird it is. We'll see. Yeah. Like it, just how when you think about it how intrinsically weird it is to do that. Yeah. You know? And I say this as someone who uh, is is constantly on the verge of mental breakdowns <laughs> whenever I work going like what the fuck am I doing? Um it uh it it, it captures that really well and those transitions are so much a, a part of that. Yeah. yeah. Um and then also just like physically like He's, he's already such, like, a stunning physical performer, uh, but he's really putting it all out there, like, the mocap yeah. scene. Um, and then even his performance, like, in the, the scene with uh, Eva Mendes, which is crazy. Which, yes. like, I mean, we don't need to go deep on Holy Motors. I am so curious 
how Eva Mendez gets to that movie. Um, but fan, yeah, I, I mean, she just has to be a fan. I, I imagine that was uh, he wrote that part and said, This needs to be a Hollywood movie star. Yeah. And they went to like 10 people who went, Are you fucking yeah, kidding excuse me? me? <laughs> yeah. Right. And she was like the most famous person who had actually seen his movies. That's my guess. You have to imagine if she's married to fucking Ryan Gosling. Yeah, he's like that. She's like watched early. He's like, you don't like Gaz, but it's Leo's Carex. Um, Right, exactly. um, But yes, Annette, the opening scene. My Mm -hmm. take is that it's the best opening scene that's like the most electrifying thing in a movie since Inherent Vice, I think. Where like the title drop with Vitamin C in Inherent Vice, I remember being in the theater and like almost crying because I was like, this is like a movie made for me and then the same thing happened with the net where it's like it starts with like the red sort of like um you know what do you call it like waveform popping up as they're talking and they're like cross-cutting and dissolving between all this stuff and then the number starts and then they start walking <laughs> out and they're just like literally like here's everything that's going to happen in the movie we're telling you like all this stuff they bring helberg in they bring cotillard and driver in and they just keep walking, and then like driver like grabs his wig and like puts it on, and Cotillard well, has her yeah, wig. It's in. like an evolution mm-hmm. of all the Holy Motor stuff. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like a retread. It feels like he's figured out a way to like even plus it up a little bit and use that as right. a springboard for the entire mm-hmm. film, rather than you know things buried deep inside of it. Yeah. Uh, I love that as a framing device. I it's... I feel like I frequently bemoan, maybe not on my podcast, but at least in my personal life. <laughs> Uh, the lack of sort of um, the lack of sort of heightened reality and theatrical devices sure. and stylization mm-hmm. in movies, even in art house right. movies, yeah. you know, that I, I feel like films increasingly globally have become far too literal for my taste. Yeah. Yeah. And when they are stylized, they are not stylized in this way. And I find something very, um, there's sort of like an ecstatic joy that can come from when you're pulling elements from opera and from theater Mm -hmm. and from illustration and from what have you. That uh, it just, I'm also, I'm a very big Sparks fan. Okay. Uh, You know, I had mixed opinions about the documentary. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say it cooled me sure. on them, mm-hmm. but like when this movie got announced, however many years ago, I was like, "What the fuck? Yeah. How is that happening?" Because yeah. certainly at that point in time, they were not actively in the discourse. Like mm-hmm. now, it's coming out at a time where Sparks are the, the hottest the, band ever. <laughs> right. The the sort of like the road's been uh, paved, and I you know I obviously think uh, Edgar Wright probably would not have made that documentary if. Annette were not getting made. I think he very much mm-hmm. made it because he knew this was a moment to sort of re-explore those yeah, guys right. and whatever. Um, and I'm not like a completist with their work, but like a very big fan of their 70s output. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess only 25% of yeah, the only million records. Yeah, only 15 of their 30 albums. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but fan of theirs for a while. I knew that they had tried to do that Tim Burton movie, the My the Psychic Girl, mm-hmm. which felt like, oh man, that's one of the great unmade movies. What if they had gotten to make something? What if Burton had done something like that at the peak of his power right. or whatever? Um, I didn't know about the Jack to T movie. I knew that they had written that um, uh, Igmar Bergman uh, uh, opera. 
Mm-hmm. So I sort of like they did a concept album. You look stunned. Colin. I never. I mean, I'm very yeah, unfamiliar with Spark. Like I know yeah. like a few of their songs. I've not. They seen did the a. Doc. They did a concept album, and then I believe they performed it live a couple times. Um, but I don't know if they performed it as a full sort of theatrical experience. But it's like a concept opera about uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman getting seduced over to the Hollywood system, I believe. Okay. It's sort of them making a movie about their previous, uh, making an opera about their previous attempts to sure. make a movie. And this sort of um, esoteric artist getting roped into this system. Yeah. And it, it it's called The Seduction of Igbar Bergman or something okay. like that. So I, I, there was just a period of time where I was just like, why won't anyone let them fucking make yeah. something mm-hmm. like this? Like, mm-hmm. why won't anyone let them stage a full production, make a movie, whatever? I'm such a Holy Motors fan. Then when it's announced that Leos Carax is going to do this thing with them, it's Am Driver, who's like one of the most exciting uh, uh, actors yeah. in America. Mm-hmm. I think pretty undeniably at this point, certainly like in the category sure. of leading men. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the amount of stuff that he's been able to sort of like... I, I think you really compare him to a lot of other guys who have gotten a big franchise role and what they've gotten done with right. that juice. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. You know, and it is kind of incredible how much he has been able to push through and just how much the fucking guy works. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, it's crazy. I was talking about, he's it's get, crazy. He's like two Ridley Scott movies. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was talking about this with Colin too while we were watching. Like, it's crazy that he's hosted SNL three times. Like, it, like it's like, yeah. yeah. I think he just like, yeah, loves shit. creative people and like loves being around creative mm-hmm. people. It must be like that. He, I, yeah. I, I, I have to imagine, not to psychoanalyze him too, that he must just be a little bit sure. restless mm-hmm. because it's like, the, the guy just does, I mean, uh, you know, 2021, he has three right. movies. Yeah. And last year, there was a global yes. pandemic, right? Yes. right? Yes. So he didn't have anything in 2020. 2019 is four. 2018 is two. 2017 <laughs> right. is three. He yeah. has 2016 right. is He did three. like a Broadway show in right. there at one point. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, like the, uh, in yeah. 2019, he was like in that year with Carrie Russell. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> and as you said, he hosts us in all three times, but also like he's gotten two Oscar nominations in that time, which means he had to do two fucking right. like wine and cheese parties. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, like, yeah. So yeah. many of these movies do play he's festivals. Released... He's like always at the festival. Right. Yeah. Like even though he hates, right? He right. Like he. <laughs> He, he had to star in three Star Wars right. movies, yeah. all of which he had to do global press tours for. Like, I just, I don't understand what time turner this man has that allows him to do this much work. It, it is. But the consistency of quality is pretty stunning. Because, like, he's yeah. in, like, Girls starts 2012. And I yeah. think, like, pre that, he's in, like, J. Edgar. That same year, he's in Lincoln. And he's, like, get these bit parts. I was right. like, oh, that's the guy from Girls. And then it is just, right. like, right. Girls literally Girls in 2012. Stop. And quietly at that point, he's already done an Eastwood, a bomb back, and a spear. <laughs> yes, yeah. Two movies and with, he, like, the most He's not even warm <laughs> yet. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And then, and like, everyone's right, always then like, oh, he's the great like, one on Girls. Like, he, like, immediately. And, right. Yeah. Immediately was the guy. Yeah, because yeah. yes, he's so fucking mm-hmm. weird looking. He's yeah. like this ape man who yeah. only becomes more apish. Right. And I think like what Annette like keys into is how much he looks like a monkey. I mean, um, that's something he has it, in common with Levant, which is might be yeah, right. Yeah, mm. um, he's so everything about him is so weird. Like I just I kept on having the thought watching. This was obviously a thing where like. Uh, uh, people tend to get more and more hot the more famous they yes. get, right? Him, it's like they insane. Uh, 
they understand their look. They understand how they play on right. camera. They groom they themselves better. They them have an entire for, support yeah, right. staff. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, He's and it's just like, right. His hair has stayed long for a very long period of time now because now we even forget that he has like satellite dish ears, right right yeah 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 <laughs> like it's a similar thing with early ben stiller Until where you're like his app. first like well sure <laughs> yes which that that has to be sure, delivered yes, for that yes, reason, yes, right yes, yes, but like ben stiller you're like the first like 10 years of ben stiller acting when he's like not that famous you're like fucking ears sure, man yeah, yeah. and then by the time he's a star he's figured out exactly what length to yeah, grow yeah. where the sides of his hair are always longer than the top mm-hmm. So the ears are sort of like butt trust yeah. and whatever. Um, Driver is one of those guys who simultaneously has gotten so much hotter and so much weirder yeah. looking. Yeah. Like watching this, I was thinking about the fact that like everyone fucking memed how odd his proportions were when he's shirtless with the high waist. Right. The pants be- yeah. The beefcake shot yeah. in that was just his nipples. Like and like. Right. It was yeah. very weird. Yes. And it's like he's worked with like fucking sculptors now to figure out how to build his body so the proportions are more evened out now. (laughs) But still, you're just like, the size of this man is odd. Right, and like his face... His his cheekbones stick out right. more. Like he's sort of got that like hot sullen cheek thing. Right. Anyone who saw him in the play, some angles. Anyone who saw him in right. the play off Broadway, it was just like Adam Driver's very large. Like he's so he's such <laughs> right. an imposing physical presence. His hands are so big. His head so fucking <laughs> big. And you're like, he simultaneously looks more conventionally handsome than he ever has, and weirder than he ever yeah. has. Yeah. And and then you get to his voice on top I mean, of that. Yeah. And then his just basic sort of acting style on top right. of that. The idea of him working with uh, Cracks was obviously, like, beyond thrilling. Mm-hmm, really. And I'm a big Rooney Mara fan and a big Michelle Williams fan, yeah. but I don't know how well either of them would have totally fit into this movie. Yeah. It's I kind of think, I, I think they would have... I, I, Williams, I mean, what Williams has going for her is that she's a better singer. Sure. Mm. Yeah, and she's, like, campy. Like, yes. he does, like, you know, whatever, the hand thing from Fosse Vernon. <laughs> yeah, but there's also, I mean, it's weird. There's there's a, she is oddly less theatrical. <laughs> Despite the fact that she's done Fosse Vernon and yeah. she's done fucking Cabaret, My Cabaret on Broadway. <laughs> right. I think there is something more internal with her. Mm-hmm. And Rooney Mara is also very, is not very theatrical, no. yeah. right? That and, is and a Kut- fascinating movie. That, that is right. weird. Yeah. I think Coutillard, much like um, uh, Coutillard, I always say Coutillard, it's Coutillard, but I like saying Cuckoo Coutillard. Yeah. Uh, uh, her and Driver both have that thing where they're able to have a foot in each world, Yeah. You know? Sure. Where they're able to be very esoteric movie stars and can go between genres and budget scales and all that sort of stuff. I guess this is, I mean, once again, it is purely a matter of my expectations and perception going into the movie and not well we could get into how much of a strike it is on the movie itself yeah see when i i i did whether i had read that she died at some point or or had forgotten it or never knew yeah. mm-hmm. i was expecting this movie to be more of a cheer sure. 100% mm-hmm. yeah, and that was even well. removing the fact that she dies halfway through it is so much more right skewed towards him she has like two it, yeah. things i feel like and then like like watching it the second yeah. time knowing that it is just driver's movie i think is able to like recontextualize everything and make everything else like make 
you know, I'm not thinking of like when's Cotillard going to get more like how much are we going to get of her as the ghost? It's like, no, this is like almost a purely supporting performance. Yes. And it is like incredibly strong. In yes. That and the stuff that she does get pops more the second time yeah. knowing you're not like the thing. I think both me and Cullen, the thing that really popped to us about her is there's the scene where yes, yeah. it's her and the baby and she's just like going around the house right. and outside la, just la, like la, singing la, nonsense la, 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 la. yeah right. i mean that I love her. really really that feels I'll like take, a yeah. key to the movie almost it's called the girl from the I'll middle i'll take of any cotier i can yeah. get yeah but i also think it is um it's not a strike against her but it's a reality of like uh because the <laughs> the ape of god sequences do not need to actually be conventionally right. funny mm-hmm. driver gets to do his own stand-up whereas yeah. the she opera. needs to be an mm-hmm. opera level singer which means most it's of her dubbed. singing isn't right. done yeah. by her yes. right. and right and i really like i i like both of their singing i mean i feel like everyone was sort of framing this as like well and you can tell they're clearly not professional no. singers yeah, I love but it. i think yeah. even more than i i think the demands of this movie are different and i think both of them have nice voices yeah. and are very <laughs> expressive and know how to use them strategically yeah. i i wish there was more of her singing right. because i i think uh she does really come across yeah. well in those moments but i mean it was a bizarre thing of just like before seeing this movie going how in the world did Simon Helberg get above the title? He's like, so how is that good. possible? Right, he is. He is. But I just was like, in in terms of just perception, right. yes, yes, this yes. movie, which I see as a two-hander between two of like the most beloved mm-hmm. movie stars yes, yeah, on the planet. In the trailer, he how gets is Golden he getting, Globe winner Simon Helberg? Like, yeah, right. Like, how how, how is he getting? Uh, how is he getting above the title under any circumstances? And then there was the bizarre moment in like the last half of the movie where i was like is he gonna have more screen time than she does <laughs> like he he just kind of barely doesn't yeah right you know but her role is not that much bigger than his which yeah. is odd yeah um i mean yeah li- listen i'm the number one fan of rob marshall's nine you'll find on the internet like i'm not gonna argue against like having <laughs> more of <a> yard <laughs> singing like yeah truly like, <laughs> i think her performance of take it all in nine is like truly tremendous and i strongly <laughs> we're all beaten down by it at this point <laughs> we don't even react to anything yeah. <laughs> we've heard it for years it's like i can't even flinch at rob marshall's nine <laughs> It's a great work. Um, uh, yeah, it's a great uh, work. Oh, no, no. You, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You cannot say that, you fucking asshole. That will not fly. You can say you're the biggest defender. You can say that she kills that one number. You cannot empirically say it's a great, a great work. work. <laughs> Listen, he's in conversation with Fellini, and I think, you know, he's... Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's, uh, he's maybe he's more shit. in conversation with the new Fellini, Paolo Sorrentino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jessica Chastain dubs Rob Marshall the new Fellini. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, the point is, I do uh, really enjoy Marion Cotillard. I do think, like, she has, like, yeah, the number with the baby, I think, is really mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. And, like, her swimming in that. And, like, that's the first time you see that house, which I think is, like, such a fascinating piece of production Set, design yeah. with like that mm-hmm. little pool in the backyard and everything yeah. um the the num the, the weird th- thing for her is the dream number where all the where she dreams women accusing yes. adam driver of 
sexual very misconduct. Odd. Very odd. Uh, well, because especially at that point in the movie, you don't know that it's a dream. Has the baby been born yet at that point? Yes. yes. No. Yes. No. no. Mm. I don't think. We've, so. I've literally I don't, watched I don't it twice. Think so. I think yes. Okay. I think it's because she's on the rise. And he's on the fall. Right, right. And then they, because they do that song, and then they do the, you know, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in song after right. that, I think. Definitely I mean, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, Annette is born earlier than I remember. Yes. Which yeah. is why my yeah. instinct is to say that's probably after. Right, like, I know the baby is coming, but I also think this movie is more of a pure two-hander. Mm-hmm. And so when that dream sequence happens a i don't think it's a dream sequence at first yes. right mm-hmm. uh i think the baby is born at that point because i remember sort of thinking like oh is it now going to be about what it's like to have a child with someone right. in that position mm-hmm. right yes it sort it sort of uh, seems to tease like i was like when i heard that like right he before, was yeah. supposed to like that adam driver was playing like a comedian who like was like right you know not peace like i was worried this was going to be like a movie about cancel culture like that was like my concern about the movie i i also thought it. that that was that, that was my sure. biggest like i may be the coldest on this movie and it's like i definitely went in with like weird expectations of like is Adam Driver gonna be like? Is this gonna be like some weird Louis C.K. thing? Like, is this gonna be like, yeah, at like some weird cancel culture thing? And it, it just like a lot of my expectations for the movie were like upended by specifically that yeah. scene, yes. and then the rest which of- is well, interesting say- because I- it's not a movie about cancel culture, other than that one weird tangent, which is like you have to wonder when that was written. Like, was it in the Thing originally in like 2014 I, or I, whatever like i have yeah. to imagine this is a thing that was constantly evolving yes yeah. but I, what I, I was I, gonna say is like yeah. even though it's not about cancel culture watching the two stand-up scenes i don't not i did think about louis tk both times like sure but i also he's not that. he's he's in no way the person who it's most like but it is like no but what I was going to say is that, like, I think the movie portrays that character as, like, very edgy. And then I watched that stand up and I'm like, I could see, like, some per- some w- some person doing that and just, like, getting, like, a normal reception. Well, okay, so can I say, yes. I, this is why I sort of wish they had let uh, Cotillard do the opera singing. Sure. Because, like, <laughs> I don't know if, if you folks read A.O. Scott's review of this movie, Thanks. but he kept on referring to... Um, uh, Adam Driver's stand-up sets as performance art. <laughs> sure. And I think he literally thought because they don't have conventional jokes yeah. that he's not supposed to be a comedian. <laughs> yeah, but he is he, like a right, stand-up comedian. Right, but he's a stand-up comedian in fucking weird Leos Caracas. Right, yeah. Right. yeah. He's right? Doing, right. Like, he, the it's fact, like quote marks stand-up comedy Right, so here's... Like, right. Which, like, so I'm like, I kind of wish they had let Cotillard do that with opera and Maybe. go like it doesn't matter yeah. that she cannot hit these fucking notes whatever who gives a shit it's like so much more about the image of it and the emotion of it and all that shit which she clearly can mm-hmm. pull off because I also think if they had let her do that those sequence would would perhaps be uh, embellished more it Maybe. feels like the glimpses we get are so fleeting versus like we have two extended performance chunks yeah. if not three yeah. I mean, they're long. Yeah, they right. are long, yeah. So yeah. That is yeah. Thing, the I'm other thing her. I was thinking about during those scenes is that, like, I don't think that 
this is intentional because it doesn't really feel like a thing that Carax or Sparks would be engaged with, but like you do have this debate that like pops up every six months where like a stand-up special would will come out and someone will be like, "This isn't stand-up. This isn't funny." Like, you know how. I haven't seen any of the Bo Burnham specials, but, like, how different is that from, like, if Bo Burnham was an edgelord? Well, yeah, and yeah, no, and what I kind of like about Cursed the idea. stand-up sequences, <laughs> they, feel, they feel, like, almost pointedly, what would stand-up be if you removed all of the jokes? Sure. If it was literally the just this person. Yeah. yeah. Right, and, and, but, but also, like... Uh, you take the the uh, tragedy and you remove time from the equation. <laughs> yeah. Like you just have, especially with so many of these sort of like angry dude fucking don't push back mm -hmm. on me cancel yeah. culture comedians, where it's just like, is stand up just a form of culturally acceptable mental breakdowns being done in right. public? You yeah. know, like whatever it is, we're like removing the jokes from it. I think makes that interesting. He's obviously such a captivating performer. I saw someone saying like. I don't believe that he would be this successful if this that's is... what his act is. And the <laughs> argument is, of course it would. We're all, like, entranced watching right, this. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah, my if question, If you're though. only judging it by the metric of, A, it doesn't exist in a real world, right? right? But B, if you're only judging it by yes. the metric of how many good one-liners does he have, of course this is a failure. Right, yeah. But but the proof is in the pudding where I haven't heard anyone go, oh, those scenes are so boring. I mean, no, right. yeah. Fix, well, yeah, yeah, like, I was going to say, like, even though that was, like, my weird, like, hang up of, like, my weird expectations, I think those are the two best scenes in the movie. Like I, I especially the second one when it sort of like the second when, one when, it, song, when it does yeah. the like Brechtian break of like oh wait was the yeah. song part of his act like why is he start, like it, yes that's like the mm -hmm. most exciting moment in the movie for me because it's just like firing on all cylinders. Yeah, the my like I'm so curious of like you know saying like is this what his act is like because it's like very like you know annoying to probably think about it this way of like. Are these shows successive? Like, uh, did he do this show that we see first, and then, like, the stuff in the movie that happens, happens, and then his next show is the one where he goes, the audience the turns what's your problem him. number. Yeah. yeah. And, like, in my head, I'm like, if that is true, then, like, where does he start? And, like, right. has it always been this, or has it got to this? And, like, they're at their breaking point with it. But, like, sure. the the sort of, you know, joke of the second one is him, like, this long detailed thing of how he killed his wife and like how he was like tickling her until she died yeah, and the audience and then it, yeah. and they they don't respond to it but like his first one is him like hobbling around with this weird limp like complaining about the smoke that's part of the show right. and like yeah he's dressed he's like very, a like, boxer like i mean yeah. he's got yeah he's yeah. got shorts on and, and like, then like the one I like mean, joke the he does is like a tom lehrer bit that they just like lifted well yeah where <laughs> he's like the catholics hate the muslims and like singing the song well and there's there's this weird balance i mean there, look i think this is all stuff that cracks is like playing with yeah. consciously uh, yeah but um comedy in particular right is right. so subjective yes, yes, and yes. more so than i would argue any other um form of performance it is like the one that is maybe hardest for actors to fake, right? Like stand-up sure. acts in movies always feel like an actor playing a comedian. Mm -hmm. I think there is a very, very limited number of actors who have successfully been able to replicate the actual energy right. of stand-up. And I think a big part of that, mind you, is not even on them. It is on – it is not the same – 
if you have a controlled audience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. It's it's just it's fundamentally not the same, and the energy is going to be different. And even something like Funny People, which went out of its way to like put them up in real shows yeah, right. and, and hire real, work. yeah, right. It's like yeah, but they still know they're seeing Jonah Hill at a club and they're filming yeah, for yeah. a movie, right? You know, like and I remember all yeah, of how that much of a problem that gets was for fucked Fosse with when he made Lenny, like all that stuff, like yeah, right, right. right. Which like I think, I think Hoffman's performance in that movie is great, but I also don't think what he's doing necessarily resembles stand up in a pure sure. sense. I think it very much feels like he is doing an impression of a stand-up sure. comedian, mm-hmm. which I don't say reductively, right. yeah, you mm-hmm. know? But I, I think um, he's playing with the artifice, uh, the artifice of having a fictional character do stand-up in a movie for fictional ends, yeah. which right. is, this is a way to reveal this character's psyche. Right. right. So what if he's just sort of telling you all the stuff he's struggling with and he's not really doing anything conventionally funny? Right. And you're also sort of dissecting all the weirdness of how stand-up operates. Because, right. mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. it and is like we've gotten this far into talking about the stand-up comedy without talking about how bizarre it is that the two people Adam Driver thinks are Chris Rock and Bill Burr, which is like, I guess that means that the way he prepared for this was to ask them what it's like to do stand-up. I I imagine he worked with both of them. That is my guess. But he's not, that is truly my guess. (laughs) No. No, no, but, but here's what I think. I do think, more than anything, the thing that impressed me about him is he gets so right the, like, pacing around the stage, Mm. The physicality, the breathing, the, the mic, like yeah, shit with the right, microphone. Yeah. That shit is oh, like so spot on. The cord, yeah. That's stuff that I think actors doing stand up never, ever get right. And if they do, it feels too studied. And that stuff is like A, comedians being in their head, processing the show in real time, strategizing about what to do next. And B, comedians finding ways to throw themselves off the hump to keep the thing fresh for them after they've done this same show 8,000 times, which is obviously part of the tension of watching his performances in this, where it's like, is he coughing because there's actually too much smoke? Or, is that just, or does yeah. he do this every time as a right. bit? He's and like, right. turn up the smoke I so part. I can do yeah. a coughing bit. Right, like, yeah. right. Is, is the tickle bit him losing the thread for five seconds and revealing something he shouldn't? Or is that something he's been working out for months? Like, yeah, exactly. all yeah. of that stuff, that weird tension, not being able to read him, him looking for more material, like, what else, what else? Like, that shit he gets really <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That feels to me, I, look, I give him a lot of credit as an actor, but that feels to me like him either following Rock and or Burr around for a lot and watching them do, like, let me see you do 10 sets so mm-hmm. I can see the right. way the same material varies from night mm-hmm. to night, or him running it with them a bunch of times and them noting him on why he seems too wooden and stiff and how yeah. to make him, like, <laughs> behave more. Because it doesn't just feel like he watched those two guys, because certainly the act has no similarity. No, yeah. <laughs> Um, but but it does feel like he took certain things from them. Um, so this, I mean, I I I don't want to like harp on this shit. But I, I jumping ahead, but then jumping back to this point, whatever. I have this evolution of like I think this movie's about a couple. I know a baby comes into it in some right. way, but I I'm expecting yeah, not for better or worse, but just my expecting expectance based on uh, almost nothing is that. This movie's going to be chronicling these two people and their relationship. Yes, yeah. And then it's so much more skewed towards him. The baby comes into the picture. 
I'm like, well, I guess it's really about their relationship in relation to the baby, whatever the baby's going to represent. Obviously, the baby's the title of the movie. And then when she dies, I was sort of like, I guess the movie's really about the baby? Sure. Like, maybe this first hour was sort of a prologue to the baby, right. you know? And that's mm -hmm. this is now really what it's about. And I would say it was not until the Hellberg scene that I realized, like, oh, this movie's just about him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this movie is primarily about a sociopathic narcissist right. who can't mm -hmm. connect to anyone and, in the world like yeah right right and everyone and everything only exists in relation to him and that final scene obviously brings it into stark relief of like th this is just about his inability to mm -hmm. uh, connect yeah uh be a real person or right. what have you um which i had heard people say oh the movie's challenging but you get to the end and it all kind of clicks and unfolds sure. <laughs> So, like, at the opening of the movie, I'm like, this is my favorite fucking yeah, thing of yeah. all time, mm -hmm. right? And then I'm with it. I'm sort of, like, in stasis with it, going, like, okay, where's it going? Where's it going? The death happens. That's more of a plot turn than I'm expecting. Yeah. I love the fucking baby puppet. I'm all on board with that. I like the baby singing shit. I'm getting into that. I get a little bummed out when the Hellberg death happens. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Just because mm -hmm. it felt like it suddenly... Well, there's no, yeah, it's like, um, who's left? Like, yeah. Yes, yeah. A, there's who's left, and B, there was a certain degree to which I was... Although I probably was looking for some ending that, that brought some thesis to the forefront. Yeah. I was enjoying how largely formless the movie was, mm. and how sort of wide-ranging it was, and its weird pockets it would go into, and all this shit. Mm -hmm. Where then, like, the moment he kills Helberg, I'm like, the movie's about him being a fucking monster. Sure. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that is singularly what the movie's about. It has these other things, but that really ultimately comes down to the, the main concern of this film, which to me then felt a little more limiting. And from that moment on, that's that remains what the movie is about, yeah. right? Like, fr from the moment he kills Hellberg, then it's like the final concert, or her saying daddy and kills the ball, like, yeah. him in court. Hyperball, right. Hyper excuse me. Right, all, uh, Hyper Which is yeah. the funniest thing all I've that ever stuff. seen in the movie, is the yes. Hyper <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved it, but like I think that final scene's incredible. Yes, yeah, but mm -hmm. I, I I don't ding it at all. I need to see this movie a second time. I still like it more than most right, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. But I'm judging this versus my abstract impression at my head, both from just hearing this movie was going to exist, the praise and the complaints. Mm -hmm. This is also one of those movies where when I would hear people complain about it on Twitter, I'd be like. I'm not going to care about it. <laughs> yes, that sounds you know? good. Like, sometimes I hear complaints and I'm just like, no, it sounds like you're stupid. I'm smart. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to like yeah. this. And I'm going to be it's right. Like, you're oh, going to you be wrong. You don't get this movie that I haven't seen. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Not a charismatic thing to admit, but I certainly I mean, feel that a lot. Especially with films that are like uh, 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 weird and uh, stylized sure. yeah. and tonally all over the place. When people criticize things like that, I'm like, uh, you got a pee pee brain. I got yeah. a big strong. Daddy knows best. <laughs> the um, it's a right. It's a criticisms of old. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, have fun sucking farts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, I knew that before I had seen it. You know, um, those the my expectation, like just on that sort of idea of like going into this movie, I yeah. also thought it was a two hander. I did not know how much of it was going to be 
about a baby because we did this episode of the podcast where we watched Mm -hmm. a bunch of trailers for movies that had played or were going to play festivals and it was like basically the first time i had seen the trailer and there's that shot of him like on the sort of like patio of the house and he's got a net like on his forearm and i was Uh like what did they do like how do they get like what sort of like right Right, because you don't see the puppet yeah. clearly in the trailer, right? I had only seen, yes. I guess, maybe the teaser trailer. I, I, I was I shocked if that was the puppet. only I was the like, trailer. Oh. I mean, yeah, there's right. certainly so no then, way you could market this movie with the puppet front and center. Like, I don't well, think. Yeah, and then sure. the, the puppet comes out. You, like, see it briefly when it's being born. And I'm like, they're right. not going to do it with a baby because they're, like, singing. It's probably demanding. I'm like, this is just going to be, like, the weird American sniper scene. Like, there's just this weird baby that you see. Right. But when then, does she become a real kid? Yeah. yeah. When you see the puppet just walking around, I'm like, oh, this is the puppet baby. <laughs> like, this is. Right. And at this point in the movie, I go, you're playing with house money. You can do <laughs> yeah, no yeah. wrong. Like, this is what yeah. I want. Like, it is it, in my stupid Griffin brain. <laughs> I know I just said I have big, strong, good brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, you that's know. dialectics. Um. Yeah. I also, I also just want to make it clear because like, you know, they're fucking blankies who think that like we like old because we're trying to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and I oh, just sure. said like, I knew I was going to like old before I saw it. <laughs> yeah. but, but case in point, I saw this movie and I was like, this is going to be my favorite movie of all time. And I'm a little mixed on it. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like I, I actually make up my mind. Yeah. But, um. Uh, what was I going to say? A, a, a stupid thought I have in my brain a lot is like, why don't more movies have one puppet character? <laughs> like, I do have that thought a lot. And I especially love the design of the, the puppet looks, in this. I love so how they good. use it. The actual puppeteering itself is unreal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I a great could not figure out how they were doing it. The yeah. performance is unbelievable. Um, I, I loved everything about that to the degree that it's like, once again, I you know, there are many movies that I go into with the wrong expectations, sure. and it takes me one screening to just fucking shake it off, give it some space, go back to it, take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as some of you have said, you were able to do on a second viewing with this movie. And I, I would love nothing more for it to unlock everything for me. As it stands right now, it is a movie I like strongly yeah. with elements that I love. But I felt more excitement at the idea of it being a two-hander. I felt more excitement at the idea of it being a baby movie. <laughs> and then I felt the least excitement at the idea of it being a Adam Driver as a Frankenstein movie. Yeah, yeah right. Sure. The, um, D- despite the fact that his performance is, like, incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I I would say, I was going to say, so the, the review actually that helped me most contextualize it is uh not a professional review it's a review from uh our friend and past and future guest uh jack reed who made three points one of which which we talked a lot about about like how even though like the stand-up is not stand-up it is an incredible movie it like uh uh, em- uh, like em- kind of emulating what live performance is like. The third point yeah, I'm going to yeah. share, not necessarily because it uh, resonated with me, but because I'm very curious to hear what you would think of it, Griffin, which is that uh, mm-hmm. Jack said that uh, this is the movie that Jim Henson would have made if he was still alive and been asked to make a movie about Kermit and Piggy's marriage. Uh, I think I think it's a pretty good take. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good take. I mean, I I think if not literally, I do believe at some point Henson probably would have made a movie very similar right. to this. Yeah, that, that's exactly you what know? he said. He would have made a movie a lot like this. Uh, but then the yeah, second I mean, point, you know, I, I, I sorry not to yeah, harp on this, but it's like 
Henson died in deep contract negotiations with Disney. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons he did that was because I think he really wanted to fucking move on from the Muppets. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think he felt burdened by the fact that he thought he could put those characters to bed. The public really wanted more of them, and he did not want to spend his entire life doing that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Henson's early work, especially sort of his, like, pre-puppet live-action work, like like timepiece. Right, shit like that, and uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Tales of Sand, is that what it's called? Which was his Mm -hmm. film idea he had that was then turned into a graphic novel a couple years ago. Um, uh, I I think he would have, Tale of Sand... I think he would have eventually gotten to a movie very, very yeah, similar so, to yeah, this. To cl- and I also think, by a lot of accounts, his relationship with his wife was strongly reflected in uh, him and uh, Kermit and Piggy. Right. <laughs> so I think that's probably a well in a dynamic that he mm-hmm. would have gone back to a lot. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, to clarify specifically what he said, is it's what he would have done if he had, wanted, had been challenged to make a movie about Kermit and Piggy that does not mention them by name. Uh, which makes more sense. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And but then the second point, which is the one that most helps me, most helped me to recontextualize the movie, is how not to try and you know bring too much of Carax into it. Though we did, yeah. we talked about his partner who passed away, about how it kind of feels like a movie about how. Uh, to outlive a loved one makes you feel like a monster or a murderer, which is interesting the way that it kind of... Yes. I don't think it's only about that, because I think he is also kind of actually a monster, but the way it kind of balances being about that and being about this sociopathic narcissist, I think is really fascinating. I mean, this is a thing I I perhaps bump up against a little mm-hmm. bit, though, where I feel like at times the movie is maybe working against itself. Right. And I like that Crax is a messy filmmaker who doesn't feel the need to conform to standard narrative structures and tropes and that his uh, intentions can be oblique, you know, as as are his meanings and all of that. But um, his wife's death, or his partner's death, rather, was clearly a very traumatic event, mm-hmm. yeah. right? I, I think it casts a shadow over Holy Motors. I think the very opening of Holy Motors, that is sort of him as himself waking up in a bed as this sort of, like, comatose man shuffling around, and he goes to the movie theater, and the movie begins, and it very much feels like that is him sort of saying, like, haven't made a movie in over a decade i need movies to get myself out of this funk Mm -hmm. you know to a certain degree um and then this movie also starts with cracks but also with his daughter yeah and it's dedicated to his daughter right and Mm -hmm. the movie Um, ends with driver looking exactly like leo's character almost yes which is incredible because i'm like is he wearing prosthetics but i'm pretty sure he's not i mean he's got the port weinstein but like i don't know the the birth is so crazy yeah it's very bizarre um but the other thing i was gonna say is that this movie correct me if i'm wrong does not have like uh conventional writing credits right i believe it's just attributed to ron and russell right it says original story and music by sparks lyrics 
by Ron Mael, Russell Mael, and Elsie. Right. I believe that's in the end credits. In the opening credits, I think it just says written by Ron Mail and Russell Mail, and then it says music by music Sparks by Sparks. or something that's like that. That's like in, in the in like the, There's like a slight the discrepancy between that. the opening credits and See, the closing credits. What, what I remembered in the opening credits, and perhaps I'm wrong, and this is also very easy to check, but I remember it not saying written by and saying story by or maybe, something like maybe, that. Maybe, yeah. That it, that it felt interesting that more like, uh, you know, uh, a Broadway show or something where sure. book and lyrics were split sure. up. That, that there was sort of speaking to the weird collaborative nature of this thing certainly it was a thing they brought to him mm -hmm. right and then he worked with them on for a number of years and so it, it's odd trying to parse i think versus his other movies that are so much more um an expression of of just uh, cracks yeah. the, the credit and just and, to clarify the credit is original story yeah, by ron yeah. mail and russell mail music by sparks yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like interesting. Right. Interesting. I mean, yeah. yeah. Truly, just so fast. Yeah. Right. Because no one's getting a screenplay credit. Like right. people are getting lyrics credits or story by mm -hmm. credit or whatever music credit, but no one is getting a credit for like the or script. Like, yes, right. Yeah. Putting it all um, together. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's it's one of those things where like uh, to your point, Jesse, I think you were the one who was saying the thing about like uh, outliving your partner right. makes you feel uh, I like was, a monster. I was quoting our friend Jack Reed, but yes. Right. Um, my confusion with that and I wonder how this movie looked as an idea how written it was or wasn't mm -hmm. when they brought it to him versus what he then put onto yeah. it because that feels like a theme that he must mm -hmm. have put in not to fucking armchair therapist yeah. him too much yeah. right? but you just have to imagine that's a thing that he's putting into the stew what bumps on that with me is that the driver character's pretty open and shut monstrous and is so from the beginning right mm -hmm. yeah and the weird question of his responsibility for the death or not yeah. you know which i don't need clean answers here it's just mm -hmm. all stuff i'm still grappling with because there there is the movie about how weird it is to raise a child on your own to outlive your lover to be left with that sense of guilt the reflection of your wife and the daughter all that sort yeah. of stuff i get right. and that tracks for me and then it also feels like perhaps what the sparks brought to him is like this is a movie about a man being destroyed and destroying <laughs> right. everyone around him right. you know yeah. yeah what i would say is that it feels to me that those wavelengths are more in sync than they are interfering, but it's very close to tipping over the edge in the wrong direction. I, yeah, and just I, the I, fact I, that I, it's just on the right side of the edge makes yeah. it amazing. I, I'm still grappling with all of it, but, yeah. it, but it also is like watching the Sparks documentary, knowing about them, Knowing that they had these two movies over decades with big filmmakers that never came to fruition, right. and then they do this fucking concept opera about uh, an elite, kind uh, of classic art house uh, filmmaker being corrupted by Hollywood and needing to resist, right? That the whole sort of like Faustian bargain of success feels to be a thing that really fascinates them, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, mainstream success, which they were never able to achieve, which they mm -hmm. got close to, and it's like, was that a saving grace, or is that, like, a, a, a regret for the rest of your life? 
all that stuff makes sense with the arc of the driver character and making a somewhat cynical movie about the kind of person who can succeed and, you know, recognizes every opportunity for success but cannot connect with other people. Yeah. Um, but then there is a very contrasting set of emotions, which I, I, I think the conversation between the two is interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm just still trying to make the whole movie gel for me as a piece. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it does not have to be uh, consistent. Yeah. I, that's not what I'm asking of it at all. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still just sort of trying to figure out what the movie is ultimately interested in. Yeah. And at times watching it, I felt like, Oh, this is like two different authors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I will say both throwing different ingredients yeah. into. We'll say that yeah. I think some of your problems, like I only I only could watch it at home. It didn't play Puerto Rico in theaters at all, so I just like had to watch it at home. Bummer. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like the the Codyard stuff. I think. It's like such a different shift in energy that I think it, a lot of it gets lost at home. Like I think the like the drive the driver imagine. stuff yeah. is so watchable and so compelling that you're just like there yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And then when it becomes like this more like gentle, lovely thing that Cody are mm -hmm. doing, it just like you sort of like just like naturally like lose some of it. Just at I home. I also think the Cody art stuff is inherently kind of undercooked. Aside from the fact that there's less of it. I just think it is less fully realized, especially the sequences of us seeing her art. Yeah. You know? I mean, that there's the big one where she is like, I mean, the problem that I had with the Cote art stuff in theaters is I like, couldn't really tell what she was saying. Yes. Like, yes. Um, correct. And it was and much easier with earbuds. I earbuds found. and like subtitles as well. Like captions. Well, um, sure. uh, and like, so that like, clarified more for me of like and like also just like recontextualizing like knowing that she dies the whole like big the biggest opera number that she has where she like goes out into the real woods and then comes back into the into the set it's like the whole song is just her about like I'm afraid like afraid of what's to come like all this stuff um, that it and then you know you have the scene with her nightmare about him getting canceled like and them all warning her that he's monstrous and it's like all that is in her subconscious but then also like yeah it doesn't happen and then uh he doubles down and like even in the scene where he's like with the paparazzi at the beginning and he's just like being an asshole to them and she like finds it charming but then it's like as the public turns against him and she sort of has to deal with that also while like having the kid and like having her like the success like of her like shifting even more so upward culminating obviously in the boat scene where she's like afraid of him physically for the first time because like you sort yes. of get the like the tickle monster thing of him like he is just this frankenstein like nosferatu like huge creep but at that moment it is like he's being cute or whatever like it's romantic in how she reacts to it but like watching it the second time i found it to be like scary and like when you get to the boat scene and he is just like I think like because those are the th sort of three big action scenes are like the tickling <laughs> the boat and then the, the scene with Helberg where he 
kills him. And I think Driver's yeah. energy in that scene specifically, and like just his physical presence, he's like not saying anything. He's looking down on Helberg, who is like slight uh, n- next to him, like next to anyone probably, but like especially next to Driver in this. And he's like frat boy, like asshole, like face up against him, like shoving him and pushing him and just like toying with him. And then like it, you know, comes to him throwing him in the pool and just holding him down and drowning him. And it's like the most like violent thing that he does on purpose, but you have the sort of peeking at it and Cotillard reacting to it, uh, leading up to all of it. Sure. A couple things I want to say. First of all, I was, now that you brought it up, somewhat confused by the height difference between Driver and Hellbird. Because every time they were on screen, I was like, shouldn't there be a bigger disparity between them? And I was like looking up their heights and doing the math, and it feels like they should look more extreme standing next <laughs> yeah, to each other. Yeah, it should look like my giant. It, it really should, because Helberg's even smaller than I am. Is he really? Yeah, wow. He's like 5'4"? That's, yeah, you know it's serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, everyone was like, Jesus. <laughs> right, right. And Driver's yeah. what, like 6'4"? Driver, I think, is 6'2", but he's yeah. also just so I mean, yeah. He's like an all, right. <laughs> kind of yoked in this. He's he six is two. so jacked in this. It's crazy. Right, Because right. we were talking, is like I was like, hunchy. Like, he's, like, it's not, he's like, okay, you he's know. He's a sitcom nerd. Like, yeah. that's like. Right. <laughs> he's 5'4". I just kept on being like, this should look like David and I standing next to each other. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't. And I don't get the math on that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, but but the other thing I want to say is just, uh, Colin, everything you were, were saying, the, the sort of Coutier stuff that, that works well for you, uh, I, I agree with all of that, but I also think it is uh, telling that almost all of those scenes you cited are scenes about uh, her existence in relation to, to him. Yeah. Right, yes. Right, whereas he has so much of his own identity in the movie and even just the amount of real estate given to his performances, mm-hmm. th- which are so revealing of his psyche. I do question if... I know I know you need to have the baby sing, right? Yeah. I know yeah. that's sort of the point she's baby annette she's a huge hit all over she's the out world. of this world i get it we i get baby it and annette. i love baby annette i love baby annette i have no choice but to stand <laughs> i question the choice of putting her in opera because sure. the movie is already Some. operatic yeah. right could they right. just well, be this... like a pop singer like well i mean well the thing is like adam driver henry McHenry is the author of his all all of his artistic genius right exactly. and like and marion cotillard is an opera singer who sings yeah. stuff that other people like and like she you have the helper right and you have the right. helberg like i'm an accompanist sort of like which is trying i think to contextualize like no she's really a genius at this opera singing thing like yeah. he like tries to like do that but i think there's like not you, enough you end up with stuff. more of an art uh, a sense of Helberg's artistic sensibility than hers, though. Yes, because exactly. It, it feels like they just kind of frame her as like a savant to a certain degree. Right. She is just Not like that a, it comes a easily muse. to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Right, right, like, right, right. The, like, yeah, she bows and she dies. So it, I think it is in some level like on the like having a dialogue about like, well, her her success and her like likability as a famous person is tied to like her being more of to put it in like a weird a puppet of like. The, the work that she is doing sure. whereas like as Andy mentioned Henry McHenry 
he he feels like he is being torn like raked over the coals for being for like being right. original and doing something real that he feels is real but by but but that but by that virtue also, yeah, no sorry the movie yeah. feels like it's like the movie feels like it should be fighting against that perception and instead it sort of like weirdly confirms it i guess that's that's I, I think a little of what I'm struggling with is at times I can't tell when the movie is commenting on things or accidentally falling into mm-hmm. them. Sure. And 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 these are artists who I give a tremendous amount of credit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not assuming that I am smarter than the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. in fact looking forward to watching it more times and hoping that I can sort of like crack it. Yeah. Um but that, that was an issue for me, and I also just questioned, like, when the movie is so operatic, not just in terms of it being nearly sung through, yeah. but also just its use of uh, uh, visuals, yeah, you know, like and staginess, colors, and yeah. staginess, and artificial sets, and all that sort of shit, and the, the pitch of the emotions, and all yeah. of that. It means that when we're seeing her perform, it feels very much of a piece uh, as when they are uh, eating dinner or having sex yeah. or walking down the street, right? Sure. Like, it's all sort of at the exact same register. So because of that, I think her value as an artist does not come through as I much. I mean, also... Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. Whereas, whereas when he does stand-up, the movie grinds to a halt in a good way. You lean right. forward, you're like, well, what and is yeah, this? And you, it's the, such like, a different the audience rhythm. Is it's so, so engaged with him, too. Like, the right. audience is, like, actively questioning him and, like... You are so in tune with like how an audience yeah. receives him, whereas her, you're but even sort yeah, of just the, told it. The lack of cuts, often the yeah. silence. I mean, yeah. there's so long of the uh, in both of those sequences, you don't hear any crowd response, and there's the weirdness of the squeaking and whatever, where it puts like such a premium on what he's doing that I wish they either had maybe picked a thing where they could have had a more jarring shift in in format and tone whenever you went to her performances, yeah. or found a way to depict her interiority more i don't know if it's you need to see more of her preparing you know like i don't know if it's that if the movie had spent more time showing her doing vocal exercise i mean yeah i don't mean to be like dumb and literal about it you know but like there's also like the point of like the movie as we talked as we discussed was sort of written by sparks which are a rock band so the music that works the best and like the energy that it has that communicates the best is when it it is on sparks's wavelength which is like sort of weird pop rocky music and it's like they're not it's like i know also that they're like they're comedic that's the other thing is they're like they're fucking like comedic and they they're little stinkers (laughs) like Mm They relate a lot more to what Adam Driver's doing than what yeah, she's so, doing. So like, you know, they have never been that even though it, like as you said, even though it's a musical, it like the tone of the music in the musical is like yeah, this sort of like fun, rocky sort of thing. So when it's doing yes. opera, it it like even if like accidentally, it sort of looks like it's summing its nose at it because it's like it it, right. it, it exists on yeah. like a less yes. real plane than yeah. like, the rest I mean, of the music like, in the movie. The style of the music, most of the musical ideas are presented like super short. Like it's like that. Like all like the themes right. are like quick and like like and like opera Ooh, is like so. Right. Yeah. Like, I guess maybe they're doing that just to contrast with, like, so when she is doing opera, yeah. it feels like something different than what the, just the language base level of the movie is. But yeah, I'm not quite sure it, it totally lands. It doesn't. It feels like the language doesn't change, and you kind of need it to, because it does so much for him. 
And I also think in the way that, like, it feels like the stand-up sequences are kind of deconstructing stand-up, the opera sequences are not. They're, They're just, just sort opera. of like, and then here's, you know, opera. This is what opera looks and sounds like. And by the way, it doesn't look or sound that different from the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I... I mean, look, a lot of this just gets also into just my petty bias of just, like, g- give me give me more cuckoo. You know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> to some degree, I just... It's hard for me not to give the movie... Not demerits for that, but I'm always going to want more. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't argue that, like, it is vastly... The movie is vastly more successful at portraying him as an artist than it is her. That, that is certainly the case. I think, I mean, there's maybe two reasons that it doesn't bother me that much. One is that, like, I'm just not as invested in Cody Yard as an actor as I am in Driver. Uh, I I don't dislike her, but, like, I haven't seen her Oscar-winning performance. I don't connect with the Dardans in general, so I don't really connect with that movie. She's, Have you heard her opinions on 9-11? That yeah. Well, that, you know. Uh, it's a good yeah. performance. It's a really good <laughs> performance. Have you watched uh, the, her commentary for Loose Gang? <laughs> but then I was going to say the other reason that it doesn't bother me that much. I like that column. Too, comedy <laughs> yeah. Is that it, it, the one point at which it is so successful and i think both me and cohen talked about this scene a little bit earlier is the scene that is like easy to forget where it's just her and the baby and that's where like the thing that like andy has talked to before about like what he likes about musicals about how people can sing to express emotions that they can't through talking and like she is totally nonverbal in that scene she's just Mm -hmm. la 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 i think that scene on a second watch is like absolutely gutting in how it uh just like foreshadows this relationship that's gonna be lost and then uh, as the ending scene some of what annette is saying like not only is that relationship lost it kind of is any Poison. any remnant of it is destroyed and spoiled by driver yeah the um and also that scene like it when like because it's baby Annette like waddles in and she's like happy to see Annette and then like mm-hmm. starts like playing with her but before that she's singing the song like about that's just like her talking about herself basically of just like i'm from nowhere and like I've got all this stuff. I've got my family now. And it is like this beautiful, like the way it's shot is beautiful. But then also like, mm-hmm. I think her performance in that scene specifically is really beautiful. And then you have that on top of it. Um, but yeah. I mean, she can do a, a tremendous amount with very, yeah. I mean, well. yeah, mm-hmm. truly her and driver both are just so naturally engaging, have such interesting mm-hmm. energy are very expressive are very intelligent and know how to uh, make as much yeah. out of every moment as possible yeah. without overplaying yeah. it. I, um, sorry, what were we going to say? No, no, no. I just um, was – there's, like, other stuff that I really do um, – Yeah, I feel like we're in, like, odds and ends territory. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, I, yeah. I do love the scene. It's, like, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how, like, what is and what isn't on the soundtrack and if they'll put out more. Um, I do love when he's being – um, 
interviewed by the like interrogated by the police and he like there's like some one of the lines that he has there's this cadence to it uh that i like can't stop thinking about and i think it's like a great song and i want to hear it again and then also the piece um of helberg when he's been upgraded to conductor I think that scene in the movie is like brilliant. Of like, I love that sort of. I agree that I love that scene in the movie. I, seeing it for this, I remember that as being like, "Oh, that song is incredible." Seeing it for the second time, I was like, "Oh, that's like shot incredibly, and he's performing incredibly." But I don't think it's as good as a a song as the first one that is on the soundtrack. But but this is another thing. Like, Helberg and Driver get to talk. Right. Sure, right. Yeah. They talk about their art as they're doing. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And like, so the two sequences where Helberg has the the camera spinning mm-hmm. around him and he's sort of explaining his entire psychology, it does have that same effect as the stand up, where it's just like, well, this has now grabbed my attention because it's different than what the rest of the movie sure, is yeah, doing. Yeah. 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 Whereas her opera kind of blends into everything else. Sorry, just keep relitigating no, this no, no. one point but i do think those helberg scenes are very good yeah Yeah. i mean i cullen said it but we've maybe not said enough and i have not i I want to make make it clear that i think helberg absolutely kills it i mean it's a truly incredible performance from someone who i would never have guessed that he would give it a a none of you i haven't seen you gotta see florence foster jenkins maybe he's great Uh, maybe maybe you know i'm not a fan of that performance (laughs) i'm not a fan of that performance and look i like him as a comedic performer i i am not a fan of uh uh ffj in general or uh i i think hugh grant's the only good performance all right oh well that no the fucking rebecca ferguson's good in it too uh i think street and Helberg a bad. Okay. Um, but I, I I like Helberg overall. He's not like a favorite of mine. It was bizarre to see him show up yes, in this yeah. movie. So the I, I I think he's incredibly good. It feels like a character that's designed for Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. That's funny. And yeah. I mean Helberg the greatest is really compliment a pianist, you can, which I think is part of it. And he learned sure, French. He like sure. moved right. To so yeah, that's what French. I heard. You, maybe I heard this from that you rules. posting something, Cullen. Not only did he move to France. To, and learn French. He wanted this role so much that before they cast Cotillard, they were like, "We have to cast a French person in a major role." So he got French citizenship so that it right. could be him. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And he's like, I mean, he's he's doing like all the sort of like, if you see a Q and A, and it's like he's there and right, right. It's, he's yeah, it's like Carax and Helberg, yeah. which yeah. like I mean, yeah. and he's great, like. Huge, yeah. huge kudos to him. His, his sweater he wears at the beginning is incredible. I mean, yeah, I the sweater is great when it. he drums on the street. Um, Love mm-hmm. it. Uh, cool. I know. And I was going to say, ultimate compliment is like, I went from being like, oh, it's weird that this is his part. This feels like it should have been Jason Schwartzman to being like, he probably did this better than Schwartzman would have been able to, and no slight to Schwartzman. Yeah. Like, I think he tapped into something really interesting there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and Schwartzman's one of my favorite dudes. Uh, yes. No, he's he's very goodness. I would like to see him do more work like this. I mean, it's a, it is a thing that's kind of interesting when someone has made that much fucking money. And they do without, something like this. Yeah. Well, like, that he was on this humongous fucking thing. Yeah. yeah. But he never became, like, a global superstar. He made tens and tens and tens of millions of yeah. dollars. And now he can either choose to just sort of like not do people in this position, not do anything or just start going like, I only care about doing stuff that I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. I have things to prove for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I don't need adoration or right. money for the rest of my yes. life. I'd love for I don't this, need attention. I'd love for right. this to be the start of his uh, Pattinson Case 2 run. I mean, truly. Right. Yeah. But, but even more interesting if he's doing it as a third lead. Right. You know, right. So it right. is yeah. just sort of like, especially because he was a sidekick on a sitcom and he now becomes an art house sidekick, I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, yeah, um, he can be um, the new Brady Corbett. Yeah, I mean, uh, hey. <laughs> hey. Uh, I I know uh, we're running long, but it's can fine. we quickly talk about the actress playing Annette? I mean, that's incredible. Like a, it's a devastating scene, and it's like mm-hmm. an incredible performance. And I saw someone talk about like the fact that it is like a little kid performance, which like I also bristle against. But the person saying this was like, I don't usually like little kid performances, and not only is it good, but it is like maybe the scene of the movie with like a lot of great scenes in a movie and right. I'm like yeah, yeah. I mean yeah insane her and driver like singing at each other in counterpoint like simultaneously like like she is so present and like you totally like that her dialogue is like beyond a child of that age is yeah and I, like, I don't I yeah, yeah. and yes. it's like it's so I, good. I, it's it's truly one of those situations where I question like does she understand anything that she's saying yeah, right, right. but but the well of emotion within her is so strong and she seems so connected that it's just yeah. like is this some bizarre preternatural child right. it's um and, yeah it, it's it's one of those things where like much like the the helberg uh, schwartzman question where like i i was so fucking in favor of uh, a movie starring a puppet, right, yeah. and then she comes on screen, and I'm like, "But the puppet, though, yes. Do I want her to have played this the entire right. time? Like, I think it's more impactful this way. But yeah, you're also yeah. just like, this kid's money in the bank. How much footage yeah. you got? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and um, yeah, and just like yeah. I mean, it can't be overstated. Like how devastating. Like when she tells him that he can't love her. Like it. Like it's just and so. That, yeah, yeah, and that she specifically says, no, not really. It yeah. is like. Right, oh. it's just so perfect and pure. And like, yeah, just that, I yeah, I think the last number, I like, you know, I, I am part of the hype for that, like that last duet. Like, I think that is like part of what is wonderful about musicals is when you can do counterpoint and have like two yes. simultaneous ideas running at the same time and have them both much more like audible than it would be if like they were just like mm-hmm. having a discussion with each other and like that and also recontextualize that. yeah like just just by placing a physical human actor in place of the puppet right. suddenly everything becomes entirely yeah different. it's i just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that scene i think is just is tremendous tremendous yes. tremendous yeah yeah i love the uh the sort of Beatlemania segment with annette yes um as they're traveling the world and then also i love how many kids love baby annette too like you see like a lot of kids like (laughs) loving baby Annette. love how successful Mm -hmm. Annette is. Um, yeah and i love the scene where i think it's like right around then is where driver's like i'm just gonna party and like what is the deal with all these european women like what do they think of me (laughs) um and uh this I know. I'm sorry. This the Devin McDowell yes. did one short film before. Right. This. Wow. And as previously mentioned, she was in the first natu- in our conversation, but not on mic. She was in the first natural tr- national tour of Waitress. Where was she? she? Yes. <laughs> she comes out at the vi- the the, yes. the plot of Waitress is that she's pregnant and has a baby. <laughs> I think the dispute. I think the dispute was whether Andy had seen her. Oh uh-uh. no! Not that I. I'm not claiming I've seen her. I'm not. I'm not making oh, that. Oh, I, I was. I was, I was, she was in. Colin. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was gonna fucking I, chew no, you out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I make no bones as to whether I've seen it. It's possible I have. I will have to dig up my it's playbill. It's exactly and a fifty percent yes. chance right now. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, that the that role is like she comes out at the very end and like does a little like twist and dance with like her mom or whatever and like hugs her mom. Like it's not cool. much of a part. But uh, I mean, also when, uh, like when was this? It's like. I mean, the first national tour of Waitress was probably running like two years ago. Like, okay, yeah, okay. No. Well, she you... was okay. I'm just looking at her IMDb bio now. She was four when she started performing in Waitress. Sure. That yeah, wow. I mean, the kid is very like she's supposed to have just had the kid. Like, so it is a very young kid she, who comes out at the end of Waitress. She, right when she was cast in a net, she was five. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how old she was when they filmed. Sure, sure. yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but it, it, yes, it is bizarre. She is so fucking small that it, 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 the effect of her performance and how good it is is as sort of otherworldly as looking at a puppet and being told this is a real child. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And then yeah. I think, um, I like when I saw it in a theater. Uh, it was not too crowded. Um, there were probably like six or seven other people there. But when, like, Driver goes, like, stop watching, and then, like, the movie cuts, like, I gasped. I was like, oh, my God. And, like, other people in the theater, like, looked, and I was like, sorry, sorry. Like, I was not ready for that. <laughs> and then also, my story is that, like, I had a, I had a drink, and I, like, had to use the bathroom so bad. And uh, I, in my head, I was like, for like the last 40 minutes, I was like holding it in. And then when I rewatched yeah. it yesterday, I was like, it was like the last 90 minutes. And so as soon as the credits start, I like ran to the bathroom. Um, yeah, it's a long movie. Yes. yes. I, in my head, I was like, this movie's like an hour and 40 minutes. And I watched it yesterday. I was like, oh no, it's 140 yes. minutes. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's like, I mean, just like my last thing, it's like, I, I the moments that like caught me the most were just like every time it does like, it like sort of breaks the fourth wall or like it doesn't even break the fourth wall that often it just like sort of asks the question of whether they're breaking the fourth wall because it's like yeah there's yeah. the moment where it kind of leans on the fourth yeah because there's the moment when when like annette is singing like the i love you so much song and he and he asked helberg yeah. like where did you teach her that how did she how did know, she know that song yeah. and you're like right. that was like a real thing that was supposed to have happened and, just like, and it yes, like, yeah. makes you ask that right. question and like right. uh, they mentioned how she know this? She watched the movie. You sang yeah, it yeah. like five yeah. times in the first hour. Very simple song to learn. <laughs> yeah. But see, also that song, very revealing. Sure. Sure. <laughs> we all <laughs> hey, we are agreed. We all we all agree that yeah. song is revealing. I mean, it, yeah, but it's like the same as like in the second like Ape of God segment where it, where it's like the first time you watch it, you're like, oh yeah, they just like sing a song to represent everybody laughing or whatever. And then yeah. the second time when he just like hits a button and is, and is like trying to make the song happen. Yes. Yes. And, it, and like the 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 the, the singers like run out and like, like what's going on right now? Yeah. yeah like, that's like, um, and he's just yeah. like throwing the mic like, at the obviously crowd. that's like yeah, very really showy cool. directory stuff and it's like very like it's like i'm almost ashamed to admit that that was those were my favorite parts but it's like i i think they just work so completely it's just like to have the rug pulled under you from under you like yeah. so convincingly it's so good yeah i mean Carrick mm-hmm. is great at that sure. let's talk about how green this movie is no <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, uh, I, green is my favorite color, though, and I did multiple times have the thought of like, yeah, this is how you fucking do it. Yeah. Everyone else take notes. And now this is a color to make a bathroom. Step up your game. Yeah. Um, well, it's like his whole like green and orange thing, which I realized is the 
look of that one the the fucking Denny Levant character in right. Eva yes. Mendez yeah. sequence. He looks like him in the stand-up sets. He looks like that just with right. black but hair. Right. But that's but that's like his ultimate color palette. Right. It's yeah. just yeah. like forest green and like reddish orange, uh, right. which I'm into. It looks cool. I like this movie being green. Right. Well, I think the the like their first costumes it's like they each have half of it. Driver has the right. green and she has the reddish orange hair. Yes, yeah, true. So it's true. like if you put them together, you get the Levant. Baby character. Annette yeah. turns out to be Denis Levant and Holy <laughs> mm-hmm. Um um my couple of odds and ends I do want to shout out um, I do like I just love all the like numbers that are the ensemble singing like yeah. I love the audience I love the doctors I love the doctors are great, I love the yeah. police mm-hmm. interrogating him like I love how mm-hmm. I love the way that they write those numbers I can see why if that's something Sparks was really into that was something that maybe they would have butted heads with with Burton over because he famously like removed all the choral singing from Sweeney Todd because he hates choral singing so much um, interesting yeah. uh, famous yes I, <laughs> This is what's famous to me, Cullen, okay? Let's yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and then the other thing, the, just like a couple of like musical theater influences that I thought I heard was that like it, it is very rock opera-y. I hear like a lot of like hair in that in like the short song sort of thing. I hear a lot of Jesus Christ Superstar in it, uh, especially like in the angrier numbers where Jesus is like in opposition to like the crowd and stuff. I feel like that has, like, captures a lot of that energy. Uh, and I do think it's interesting that Stephen Sondheim is thanked in the credits. Uh, it's not mm. that son like the opening number I guess is like classic like comedy tonight like this like we're here to entertain you or whatever um, but I do wonder like if Carax like called up Sondheim and is like you're the best at this like what do I do or like I, I'm curious like, what, what the special what he did to earn the special thanks yeah he sure. he called up Stephen Sondheim he called up Edgar Allan Poe yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> called up uh, Bill Burr yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. I did like that they broke the the thank yous into like. Yes, that's fun. Yeah, more yeah. people should. Uh-huh. More movies should do that. More people should. Yeah. Do, more movies should start this way. More Ugh. movies should have puppets. They should yeah. all have this right. much green, and they, they should, should all right. have those. They should thank have yous. a puppeteers thank section at the end of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you see the puppeteers yeah. at the big final walk, like in the credits, it's really good. Um, I mean, I I still look. We're we're wrapping up, but like I still just don't really understand how they pulled off the puppetry it's crazy I, yeah and i was watching it wondering like is this a marionette that was uh, digitally removed and yeah. then there were scenes that make it clear like no it, it must be they must be building sets around it and people are hiding underneath beds and shit like that I, there's some amount of digital removal but by all accounts like he tried to do as much of it in camera as possible and like 90 percent of it is purely in That's, camera yeah because it's like yeah. even Which if it looks insane. just like wild He's obviously not trying to make it that like he's not obviously going for like verisimilitude. So if like if there were strings visible, no, yes. it's not Correct. like that would break Correct. the whole thing. No, right, for sure. mm-hmm. right. But a, a lot of it is apparently the actors who interact with uh, Annette puppeteering mm. her themselves. Mm. Like he had to train them if they're holding right, her like or the whatever. Or like yeah, all that. Right. Right. I think there's maybe some degree of remote mm-hmm. control sure. shit, but a lot of yeah. it is just actors, uh, puppeteers hiding in incredibly uncomfortable positions. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, yeah which the, is the first time Annette flies is like astonishing. Like it's breathtaking. Like the, the stagecraft of that all and like the lighting and like there's like confetti falling and like you're not ex- like you're just expecting her to have the beautiful voice and then she literally begins levitating and it's like incredibly yeah. transcendent. I mean, I, I would I would happily watch an entire Annette 
concert. For sure, like, yeah. What a, yeah. maybe yeah, maybe I'm they really can do that and yeah. finally get Rihanna. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Rihanna was supposed to play herself doing a concert. That's what I've heard. Right? Right? That's what is that? upstage. Wow, yes. that's crazy. Right, because watching this, I was like, "What the fuck would Rihanna have?" I played? thought but she uh, was supposed to be Cotillard, and then someone was like, "No, you." <laughs> yeah, that's I, what you told me. I had misremembered that. <laughs> so yeah, I thought. This was yeah. <laughs> no, it was supposed to be that that yeah the baby in that upstage Rihanna when the two of them were on stage <laughs> would have been insane. <laughs> would have been a very right. odd and, scene. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, which I like him just being like, well, if I can't get Rihanna, it's not in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that else. Rihanna would play the Hyper Bowl. Um, it does. Like, and it also, like, it would have been incredible. Yeah. Like, the, it just would have been so bizarre I mean, to watch it, uh, Rihanna I mean, share last, a, an arena with Super a Super Bowl performance the weekend probably would have done backflips if Karak asked him it to be Yes, in yes. <laughs> yeah, but there's a reason he didn't ask. It only works with Rihanna. <laughs> He's the I, I, do, I don't know if it works with anyone The else. only one the puppet I mean, can upstage like, is Rihanna. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if it's as funny or if the the sort of existence of the scene is as bizarre with anyone else. Like, I think if it, if it was someone who was more legendary status like Madonna, yeah. it would feel a little bit rote. And if it was someone of a younger generation, like fucking Lord or Billie Eilish or whatever, sure. it, would like cool. it would just feel yeah. like, well... It'd be weird. It'd right. be like Austin Powers. Right. Like. Right. right, they're a little too in on the joke. Right, Rihanna's just like at the exact right point of the bell curve, mm-hmm. but also every single person on the planet knows her. She just yeah. became a billionaire. Congrats to Rihanna. God, congrats. Thank God. I we needed really another one, and finally. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. I mean, look... yeah. She's probably the best one. <laughs> yeah, look, maybe maybe billionaires are cool now. I mean, look, maybe billionaires are hot now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, guys, let me ask a question. Are billionaires woke? Right, I yeah. think billionaires are having a moment. <laughs> yes. Billionaires are having right a moment. Right here on Can yeah. I Kick It? You heard it here first. We're declaring billionaires. Yeah. I mean, the la- it's your moment. The la- yeah, that's yeah. the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the last thing, it's right. like a, the very funny mark. It's like, just looking at Twitter ads for Annette and just like how like Amazon tries to be like Oh Amazon Prime's God just tries to be like, Well it's Adam Driver, big star, Marion Cotillard. There's some <laughs> yeah, singing, you love him. And right. Just like try, I, trying to make this movie seem the least weird possible. Just, I have a long standing beef with Amazon Prime's like Twitter videos, Twitter voice. <laughs> oh, you have a long standing beef with Amazon <laughs> I mean, Prime? Listen, Duke, go I'm sure, on. but like their primary brand is that Adam Driver is hot. Like that is like the thing Amazon Prime videos Twitter is all about. I mean, I also like, I know people like to fucking clown on them and criticize it and whatever, but like. Can you imagine the field day A24 would have marketing this movie? <laughs> I mean. And then and then look at how little Amazon is doing right. with it. Yeah. And, like, yeah, they put it in theaters for, like, exactly two weeks and then, like, pulled it from all the theaters. And I think, like, they didn't report box office at all, but I imagine it did quite poorly. Um, yeah. Yes. Right. Anyway. Well, yeah. With that. With that. Watch it. It's uh, on Prime Griffin. now. Yeah. Griffin. Yeah, yeah, watch, watch, watch it on Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've listened to us talk about this movie, uh, yeah, uh, Griffin. You'll know what to expect. Maybe you'll love it. Yeah, Griffin. Yeah. What would you like to plug? Uh, well, if you're already on Prime, watch uh, the Tick. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> a great uh, double feature, I think. A great double feature. There, there's not, there's not a puppet baby. Sure. But there is. Uh, in the first season, there is a mad scientist character who accidentally shrinks himself yeah 
and that was done through a number of different techniques, but a good portion of it was uh, uh, puppeteered. And then they replaced his face later, and I had to sort of do what we're talking about with Annette, where I had to, like, hold the puppet in my hand. Oh, Not wow. fully puppeteer, but do... I, I had to try to do better than Bradley Cooper did in making <laughs> yeah. this thing look a little bit alive while they replaced the face later. Yeah. Um, yeah, so watch The Tick, uh, listen to Blank Check, we're doing John Carpenter movies. Yeah, and we are... Yeah. And then also... Uh, you go ahead. I think we're going to say the same color. Yeah, if you if there's anything like you're watching or enjoying uh, like reading that you aren't like working on that you'd like to get some eyes on anything that you would want to recommend, you can as well. God, I mean, but you don't have to. No, yes, yes. <laughs> this yeah. I am putting you on the spot. We maybe need to start warning people up top that we do this. No, I'm not saying it because I'm saying, oh God, because it's like, am I gonna fucking recommend the thing I'm thinking I'm gonna recommend? Have you guys shown any love to Undine? I mean, we did, look, an my favorite on yes. we did an episode. Yeah, on it's my favorite of the movie of the year. As we did well. a Christian yeah. Petzold episode. We talked yeah. about Phoenix Transit and Undine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's viewable anywhere now, but I, I, I recommend that as well. I second that. People should watch it. It fucking rips. Mm -hmm. um, that's my number one of the year. Hell yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'll just say it because now I've hemmed in hot. The thing I've watched recently that I find very compelling that I've quietly been trying to recommend to people without uh, volunteering too much of my credibility by doing so. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Sexy Beast, the Netflix dating show where people wear uh, horrifying special <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> that's that show's name? The trailer that took over Twitter. Yeah. I remember I, the trailer. I, look, I, I know everyone had their laugh at the trailer, but I think the show, I think attention must be paid to this thing. <laughs> You're like... I think, I think it is one of the most bizarre things that humanity has ever produced. I mean... They're all hot, right? Like that, like it. They're all just hot under there, right? Some of them are hot in weird ways. I mean, the show certainly acts like all of them are hot, and I, I question that. But you know, different uh, strokes for different folks. <laughs> uh, but uh, d d just in almost a, a Leos Carax type way, uh, watching a, a, a woodchuck talk about his preference in butt size. <laughs> to you know like a woman dressed up as satan never gets old <laughs> yeah great i mean look i'll watch it now i will get on the train who needs f boy island when you've got sexy oh, i will not touch that thing with sexy beast i highly recommend <laughs> yeah. for people who like staring straight into the eye of madness <laughs> yeah. sure all right well you can follow us on twitter at can i kick it or on letterboxd at c-i-k-i pod you can follow me on either of those platforms at JCP Glick Weber. Weber has two B's. I am in the midst of uh, plugging who the ten funniest people are right now. I knew it was an absurd exercise, but it's even more absurd than I thought. Uh, Cullen's hoping that this is his week. Uh... Yeah, so far, I'll just three. I'll just do the uh, the maybe the obvious thing and uh, say uh, Connor Ratliff, who co-hosts or he's friends with someone who co-hosts. Yeah. Uh, he he's 
he created, I believe, the George Lucas mm-hmm. talk show, uh, which is He's hosted by, by George credit. Lucas. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That we but, you know. For, for our in-universe yeah. in the George Lucas talk show for some reason. <laughs> for, for my money, unquestionably, one of the, the ten funniest people on the planet. Yeah. And uh, uh, the most recent episode of that show. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Bob Odenkirk roared his way back onto <laughs> yes. the list post-heart attack. It was with, an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not to I, be believed. I truly impartially recommend that everyone track down this moment and mm-hmm. watch it because it was uh, stunning. Yes. yes. Uh, and what a good plug for the George Lucas talk show, all episodes of which can be watched on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. more coming soon. Yeah. More, more will be coming. More will be coming. Yeah. All right. Uh, Andy. It's uh, on to me. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, you can find me online at Andy T. Germ, uh, A-N-D-Y-T-G-E-R-M, that's on Twitter and Letterboxd, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, find my Facebook if you really want. Um, uh, I don't, do I have a personal plug? Not really. I got the new, um, I haven't really read it yet, but I got the new James Lapine book about uh, writing, uh, writing Sunday in the Park with George. And I'm very excited to dig into that. So I guess I'll plug uh, that book that I have not personally vouched for yet. Um, if you like the show and like what we're doing, you can uh, send us some money. We're on coffee, ko-fi.com slash canni, C-A-N-N-E-S-I. We uh, heartily appreciate any donation, especially with our looming New York Film Festival travel plans. Um, if you donate $5, <laughs> uh, you can pick a movie. Uh, for every five dollars you donate, rather, you can pick a movie that Emilia will watch and review on his own letterboxd, uh, and he'll put a little bit of effort into the review. Uh, you keep adding more mustard to it on Emilio's back. I will watch the film and I will write a paragraph. That is all I will guarantee. Right, that's like more than you sometimes do. You sometimes sure. will do a sentence. A paragraph, I think, is a little sure. more effort. Sometimes I'll anyway, make, I'll Colin. rhyme stuff with glass. That is what you, a letterboxd yeah, yeah. of mine is usually. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm Clatchley uh, on everything. C L A T C H L E Y, and my plug is I've uh, been getting into Charlie Chaplin lately. <laughs> Uh, I oh, watched yeah. Gold Rush for the first time and like lost my mind and then did a few rewatches of City Lights and um, some of his shorts. And the one I want to recommend is uh, if you have Criterion Channel, it's expiring at the end of the month. And I think you should get your eyes on Charlie Chaplin's 1 a.m. Fucking is, hell yeah. Cullen, I was about to ask you. It's, that shit rules. <laughs> 1 a.m. is the best. So funny. It's in, he's The premise is that he gets home and he's drunk. And he's just trying to go upstairs to bed, and it is like insane. That's the whole thing. It's the, whole thing. And it's just the like, only thing a movie needs to be. Yes, it's yes. one set of him trying to get upstairs. It's so funny. To bed, and he's too drunk to do it, and it goes on for what twenty minutes? Uh, it's like twenty nine minutes long. And he, <laughs> rules. I mean, yeah, I won't spoil it, but when he gets to the bed, something happens. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched good. it like twice in the past two weeks, and I will watch it again probably. Yeah, um, it's one of the best. That's things. a great but, plug, yeah. and I do want to check that out, Cullen. I am slightly disappointed that you didn't plug what I was hoping you would plug, which is the wide dog. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll talk about the wide dog, uh, Amelia. <laughs> <When>? you, <go. laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at I am Left Alone. You can follow me on Letterbox at I Left Alone. Uh, my plug for this week is NXT TakeOver 36. It is wrestling. There is a very good match between Walter and Ilya Dragunov that is, like, one of the best, like, 
30 minutes of drama I've seen all year. Uh, I'm getting back into wrestling, folks. It's happening. Uh, our theme song is by True Related. You can find them at soundcloud.com slash True Related or search True Related on Spotify. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, goes for me, too. <laughs> Cosign. Yeah. And uh, with that, I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What? In Three, four. Good night, everyone. Oh.